And welcome to Cleveland the Geek Season Wrap-Up Edition. John Bonus of Twins Daily with me, Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic. Yes, we got a kind of a hodgepodge of stuff. We've got a lot of we got some loose ends to tie up. Yeah, and also just the kind of news that comes out is sort of end of season news, start of the off season news. Yeah, you know. So, and we'll do our we'll recap our uh, spring training, our annual preseason over under picks. Yes, to see just how horribly we were. Yeah, we we did at predicting baseball, <laughs> which we seem to be getting worse. It does seem to be getting worse. which is weird. I think the rules that we used to, I think this is what happens a lot of the time. You fall in love with certain rules. Yeah, and then maybe they and aren't true they, anymore. Not, they don't work as well. Yeah, we used to be, I had a couple years where I went like 13 and 2, 12 and 3, 11 and 4, and now I'm like, I've lost my mortgage, I've lost my car, <laughs> I've lost my shirt, yeah. my pants, everything on these bets. So we'll go over those. It's kind of our way to, we use it in spring training as a way to kind of preview the American League. Right. Twins included, but the American League as a whole, we'll use it now to kind of look back. To recap and, and, what were the big and keep surprises. ourselves humble. <laughs> yeah, that's what it really serves to do now. We, it also reminds you people that as much as we act like we know what the hell is happening oh, and what yeah. we're talking about, looking into the well, future is a very I, difficult thing in baseball. I had this argument with Paul Allen on KFAN <laughs> Tuesday, right. and he wasn't thrilled with the stance I took, which was the stance you just said, which is nobody knows anything. And <laughs> right. never trust someone who thinks they can predict playoff baseball, and I would even take that and say just baseball in general. Uh, that's a Susan Waldman. You can't predict baseball. Um, my only my only uh, rule on if if I bet baseball, which I don't uh, very often, uh, would be in the postseason. Just always bet the underdog. That's probably yeah. what I would do. I would also, just you're saying the, that after three weeks of underdog. Well, no, no, I, no. But I would say I would say that every year because because I think the one thing that you um, that is true in baseball is people think they know what's going to happen well, and they, and they yes. overestimate how this good the, what I team, the latest PA, team is. Right? Who fancies himself a professional gambler right. for some reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I, he was a professional gambler for a while, right? Like he lived in Vegas for a while trying to just, no, no he did not. He no. wasn't trying He's to be worked at a racetrack for oh, well, 30 yeah, well, years. Sure, of course. Right. He's a handicapper. And he likes right, to gamble. Right. You know how I know he's not a professional gambler? He hosts a radio show. <laughs> no, I know, but I wonder if he used to be. <laughs> so me too. I used to be a professional. I did used to gamble. I, don't, I haven't bet on anything in a very long time, other than when I was in Vegas. But so maybe I've just lost the touch. Maybe that's it. But I also lost money plenty back then. So. Uh, okay, so what we wanted? Oh, and we should also say yeah, there's a reason you quit. <laughs> well, eh, it wasn't the monetary. No, okay, all right. no it was like can't can't keep meeting people in mcdonald's parking lots <laughs> and handing them envelopes That's and receiving yeah, even but, receiving envelopes yeah, wasn't right, a great right. look from them um yeah one of the fir- mcdonald's parking lots was it actually a mcdonald's parking yeah lot? in uh <laughs> in hop in uh yeah minnetonka hop <laughs> shut you guys can go to that parking lot and see if there's any <laughs> blood splatter or anything. Yeah. now you know where all the uh where all the big money's being exchanged yeah, people that's right it's true I did it at a bank one time too. I remember, I remember like the one of the first dates I went on with Becky. This is this was ten years ago, right. roughly yeah. nine, ten years ago. Was it a McDonald's parking no. lot where you got money? I have taken her to honey. McDonald's a couple times. Uh, six of fish fillet. So that was always. Um, we were watching a Oklahoma City Thunder 
versus San Antonio Spurs playoff game, and this is like when Oklahoma City had Durant and yeah, 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 Westbrook yeah, and all those guys, and the the Spurs had uh, you know Duncan and Parker and Ginobili and all that, and she because she was uh, trying to charm me, which is hilarious in <laughs> retrospect. She was like, "Oh, I'm super into watching NBA games at bars. It's great." Well, okay, but and I remember being like, I got a hundred bucks on this we, game. We call that the mushroom pizza in the bonus house. Yes, you, yeah, I remember you told that story. Yeah. Whatever you're into, we we have a version of that with a red velvet cake at Stella's. We used to, I used to go to Stella's a lot. So then, by she went to Stella's a lot once we started dating, and Stella's dessert menu had a red velvet cake. And the first time. I like we sat at the bar and I, they were like, "You want dessert?" And she looked at it and she was like, "Ooh, red velvet cake would be good." So then, for the next fifty times we went there, I always ordered red velvet cake because in my <laughs> head I thought, "Well, she's super into red velvet cake." And then one day, like four years later, she said, "How come you don't eat red velvet cake anymore?" Like we go to restaurants sometimes they'll have a red velvet cake and you never order it. And I said, "Oh, I don't even like red velvet. I don't like dessert. <laughs> I just ordered it every time because I thought you loved red velvet cake." And then she went. Well, I don't like red velvet cake. <laughs> I had it that one time, and then you right. just kept ordering it. I thought, man, this guy loves red velvet cake. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the same thing. But, yeah, I remember telling her, I got 100 bucks on this game, and her being like, ooh, wow. Now I'd be like, I got 100 bucks on this game. She'd be like, why are you telling me that? First of all, you're an idiot. <laughs> Second of all. Anyway. Um, so we'll get to that. Uh, Gambling tangent. <laughs> later in the show. Yeah, right. How stupid we are. <laughs> this is a precursor to how stupid we are, just this conversation. You might sure. think to yourself, man, these guys are dumb. But we're going to really prove it later. Uh, in the meantime, one thing. So the Twins have annual, every team, every baseball team has like an annual set of awards. You know, Rookie of the Year, MVP, all that. The Twins are called the Diamond Awards. And they have a actual like ceremony banquet. Yes, um, built around it, which John is on the planning committee. Is <laughs> that what it's officially what it, called? I you have so. been. I don't for, know exactly for what it's quite called. a while now. Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic event. It's a big fundraiser for the University of Minnesota for a bunch of crummy neurological diseases like ALS and ataxia and all kinds of other stuff like that. And uh, yes, it is always the Thursday night. Big banquet just before uh, Twins Fest begins. That makes it January 25th this year. They also are having a new location this year. It's going to be at the Armory. And the idea behind kind of putting it in the Armory is it's going to be a little less little less banquety and a little more interactive and fun. A little more of a show. Yeah, a little more of a show as opposed, yeah, as opposed to a dinner kind yeah. of thing. And so I recommend that you go take a look and try to just do a quick search on Diamond Award Twins. You'll be able to go there and buy you, tickets. You being on the... Twins Daily will probably be getting some uh, tables. So you can also, if you put in the comment yes. section, like something like Twins Daily, eventually you'll probably end up at one of our tables. You being on the planning committee, did you set up? Uh, let's make it at the closest possible venue <laughs> to my home so I can just walk over there. We are excited about that because yeah. it's almost always the coldest weekend of the year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that'll be, what did you say, the Thursday, Thursday. of Twins Fest. Yes. Then obviously the I Twins Fest January is that weekend. And then I'm assuming the winter meltdown will be that Saturday. I am assuming as well. Now, I'm out I, for I have, this year. I'm, I, I'm done from winter meltdown. I have meltdown. done nothing on the winter meltdown this year. Well, we got it under control. John, <laughs> we got lots worry. of time, yeah. Here's the thing. You're going to go to a bar. We'll have a guest. <laughs> we'll go right. up on stage. We'll interview him. That's the whole thing. So, but uh, we wanted to, first of all, we'll go over the actual winners, which they announced yesterday, uh, which are voted on by the local BBWA members. Yes. So I voted. But then there's also like a committee of, I don't even know, ex-players maybe even, people in the Twins Hall of Fame. I'm oh, not really? even sure who votes okay. on it. But I know it's more people than just the BBWA. Oh, I did not know that. Because there's like 40 votes or 30 votes and there's only like 
13 people oh, okay. in the local BBW. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Anyway, we'll go over the results of those because some of them are kind of interesting. I can tell you how I voted if anybody cares about that. But then, obviously, team MVP is the big one. And so I thought we would kind of – we do this pretty much every year, but kind of go over our, I don't know, top five, top ten, whatever right. it is, our yeah. ballot. Yep. Uh, beyond just the winner who was Sonny Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sonny Gray, team MVP. That's also who I voted for, right. team MVP. I know some people, <clears throat> Lavelle, uh, <laughs> are very much against the notion in any context, in any sort of MVP, of a pitcher winning. And, yeah, okay, fine. I know Lavelle didn't vote for Pedro Martinez 30 years ago, and people are still <laughs> know him for that or are mad at him for that. I actually asked him about a month ago if he had it to do over, would he change that? Would he do it differently? Has he changed his mind about how pitchers stack up against hitters in MVP, and he so he said absolutely not. I'm even stronger in my thought on that, which is a very Lavelle thing to say. Um, and but I don't really take that same stance. I never have. I've never quite understood that, unless you're explicitly told MVP is for hitters. Right. To me, it's just most valuable player. And I always thought the idea, you know, the thing you'll hear is. Well, a starting pitcher only pitches, you know, 32, 33 times a year, whereas a position player might play 150 games, although not on the Twins. They might play 110 games on the Twins. But I always thought that was flawed. I mean, that's true. So you can affect more games. But the the control over each of those 32 games, let's say, that a starting pitcher had is massive. I mean, they control half the game for that game. Whereas a hitter, yes, they play 110 games, but they're just one of nine batting, and you don't know how many balls they're going to get in the field. And also, if you just look at the end of the year, at the number of plate appearances for a hitter versus the number of plate appearances, or you might call them batter's face for a pitcher, well, a starting pitcher will blow away an everyday position player. A starting pitcher could face 800, 900, even 1,000 batters if they you know pitch a lot of innings, whereas a position player might get 550, 600 plate appearances, something like that. Now, you toss in some defense, for instance, sure. an outfielder is going to field a couple of balls a game. Maybe you maybe want to tack that into the impact, although a pitcher can also field their position and control the running game and pick people off and all that stuff. So I always thought, you know, in terms of value, I guess I agree with you. I don't yeah. necessarily see a difference there. I've always felt like the reason that they feel the reason they don't give a pitcher MVP is because the pitchers already have an award. Sure, you know what I mean. And and I'm although I don't rule out pitchers for the MVP vote, I also downgrade them a little bit because they've already got their own yeah, award I mean, over there. Right? I guess Sonny Gray won two awards yesterday. He won right. the MVP and he won the best pitcher on the staff. Which is the or, or and in, in Major League Baseball, you've got the Cy Young and you've got the MVP, right? right. So if they wanted to add like a hitter of the year, like uh, you know, which they did, they've got like the Henry Aaron right. award or something like that. But it just new awards to, are difficult to get people <laughs> right, to care exactly, about, basically, exactly, right. in baseball, but or in any sport. But I, I think it would be almost, it would be kind of, it would feel silly even if they had like the Babe Ruth award or the right. Barry Bonds award. Well, they're not going to do that one. The Ted Williams award, let's say, right. you know, hit, most valuable hitter, basically, right. to match the Cy Young, except. 90-something percent of MVP winners have been hitters anyway. So then you're just going to have duplicates on that end. So, yeah, I get, I sort of see that. I will say that if it's like a coin flip, like if there had been a hitter that I deemed precisely as valuable as Sonny Gray, I probably would lean towards the hitter over the I'd I'd actually take it a little bit stronger than that. What I'd say is if it's – if there's a pitcher that is clearly the one. Yes, like this year. Yes, like this year. 
then it's the pitcher, right? But otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, I'd probably be hit. That seems fine with me. Well, so I had a vote for American League MVP this year. And, uh, well, we're not supposed to say it. But Shohei Otani's going to win the award. Let's just say (laughs) that. And I don't disagree with that. Well, I was going to say he might be unanimous, but I suppose that gives away my vote. But we're not, we were instructed not to. Uh, I've had multi. It's funny. We got an email from the BBWAA. I'm sure I'm not supposed to be talking about this either, but whatever. Uh, saying, hey, be careful because now that people can kind of actively gamble on the outcome of these awards oh, that you guys yeah, vote on. Yeah. And to be clear, something like ALMVP is voted on by 30 people. So I was one of 30. Right. I mean, that's not, you don't have to right, do a yes, lot right. of kind of research to figure out where the wind's blowing on some of this stuff. Right. And so they advised us that be careful for people reaching out uh, to try to get a sense of who you're voting for or even your down ballot choices because you can vote on like runner up and all that right. stuff. And sure enough, uh, I had several people reach out to me. I, wow. I don't know how they found out because I, well, I guess I said it on the podcast maybe once, but, uh, but anyway, the, tricky part there to me on the league-wide level is I think on a team-wide level, it's going to be a pitcher more often right. just because you're dealing with a much smaller sample of players. And, you know, it, sure. like this year, they, they had a lot of good hitters, but n- most of their good hitters were part-time, like Royce Lewis, you know, right. Ed yes. Julian. Uh, you know, yeah, they, I basically got like a five-way tie for a second. Right. <laughs> right. And yeah, so when right, there's right, no yeah, right. standout, you know, all-star 140-game hitter, then, yeah, you turn to the pitcher. But on a league-wide level, well, they're all, there's always going to be at least a few standout hitters, obviously. Now, Shohei is unique. He's a unicorn because he's a hitter and a pitcher. But I have always found it tricky. Where, Like Garrett Cole, for instance, is going to win the Cy Young in the American League. Yeah. He had a great right. year. Yes, right. Did he have like a spectacular year relative to Cy Young winners? No. I just think he had kind of a normal Cy Young winning year. And he's a Yankee. So. Where do you well, – yeah. <laughs> I don't dock him for that. <laughs> Where do you rank him on a top 10 MVP ballot? It's a little different because right, it's like, yeah. well, there are definitely hitters who deserve it, including Shohei, who's also a pitcher. But So, yeah, I, I struggle with that. But with the Twins, it's like you look up and down the lineup, the only guy who had 500 plate appearances was Correa, Correa. and he was one of the worst hitters. He had him a negative two and a half right. WPA. Right, yeah. and also just a 94 <laughs> OPS plus. Yes, right, and I mean, yeah. he'll tell, he, he certainly would tell you he doesn't right. deserve to be on the MVP. Right. So their next – Guy was Kepler, but he had like 475 plate appearances. He's certainly on my top, you know, 10 or yep. top five. Yeah, me too. But it, it didn't feel, and by the way, he was pretty bad in the first half and then amazing in the second right, half. Yes. So even that is like a half a season of, you know, MVP caliber impact. Royce Lewis played 58 games. You know, you can go on and on. Guy like Willie Castro was great, but he was kind of a utility part time guy. And so I found it very easy to pick Gray. And then in the same yes. thinking, Pablo Lopez to me was an easy number two choice. Yeah. Now for the, I had him tied at number two with a bunch of guys. Okay, um, that's I mean that's fair enough. And and I'll say that the BBWA just asks you for the local award, right? Just vote for the winner. Right. Whereas AL MVP, I had to fill out ten. Had to like it was a big burden, but I had to fill out ten because uh, they you know down ballot. Right. I think I'm assuming that comes out right after the World Series. I don't know. Does it come out before the World Series? Anyway, they list who right. we vote for now, so I always. Like, I think I did Cy Young last year or something, and there's always angry fans. That yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember when they announced that. They did that, like, in the two, three days before the World Series. Because they, they've got, like, a two-day break between the ALCS yeah, and such. I don't know. Series. I think they usually do it after. Yeah, because it's, it's one a day for, like, a week. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I right. think they do it after. So, okay. So, just to go over uh, 
rookie of the year for the Twins was yes. Royce Lewis, right. which I also voted for. It was, I mean, that's a relatively tough one. I will say that Ed Julian probably would have won the Diamond Award for Twins Rookie of the Year right. in 80% of yes. past seasons, yeah. basically. Right. I mean, he had a fantastic rookie year. Yes. He played 100-and-something games. It's only he's, on because, my top, he's on my top 10 ballot. Well, for MVP, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, it, so, and for that matter, Matt Walner would yes. have won Twins Rookie of the Year not, not insignificant. More than 50% of the time, probably. Probably. Yeah, I mean, right. at least like a quarter of past right. seasons, basically. Um, but I thought Lewis – I do think you can make somewhat of an argument for Julian over Lewis just in terms of quantity. I think you can. Um, but Lewis just made such an incredible impact beyond just yes. like OPS and all that. Just the – he had 50-something RBIs in 58 games, all the grand slams, all the clutch hits, all that stuff. So um, pitcher, like we said, was gray over Lopez basically. Um, most improved. There was – I think this one had the most disagreement among the BBWA voters – it was it was awarded to Jeffers, yes, right? Yes, I voted for Jeffers yep. because to me, at this point last year, Jeffers had had such a bad season and had been injured that they demoted him to second string and then went out and spent $30 million on a new starting yep. catcher in Vasquez. By midseason, Jeffers had already climbed back to the top of the depth chart. He started all six playoff games. And here's the thing that makes it easy for me. He led all major league catchers in OPS this season. Yeah, right. And he also improved defensively. So to go from a guy who played his way out of a starting job to then leading all major league catchers, at your uh, leading your entire position among all 30 teams in OPS, it's harder to imagine a bigger turnaround. Now, with that said, Kepler could have gotten most yep. improved. Yep. Pagan certainly could have gotten most improved. Yep. I think someone like Willie Castro, you could maybe even <laughs> make an argument for most improved. Although he wasn't really part of the team, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> most improved in general. I was going to suggest Ober, maybe. Yeah, although Ober was good, he just didn't pitch this many innings. Right, that's right. Um, but yeah, I mean, all those guys would... It's kind of like the rookie of the year thing. Yeah, right. Several of these guys could have won most improved in yep. past years, for sure. Uh, I voted for Jeffers, so... Um, and then defense, defensive player of the year for the Twins. This is the only award. It was Correa, but this is the only one I didn't vote for Correa. I, he was fine defensively. Right. I voted for Michael Taylor. Yeah. And I also I mean, probably would have voted for Kepler over Correa also. How about Jeffers? Uh, yeah. I mean, Jeffers was okay defensively. It wasn't like yeah. amazing. But yeah, Correa, I mean, Correa is a deserving winner. A shortstop who plays good defense can always win it. But I thought Michael Taylor relative to center fielders and Correa relative to shortstops, I thought Taylor stood out more. Um, you know, and Kepler's always good and right. But uh, Correa ended up winning it. And then the last two, not that anybody should necessarily care about this one, but the Media Good Guy Award went to Pablo Lopez, who we've talked about before. He's one of the nicer people and smarter people I've ever met, Okay, regardless of baseball. And then he also won the Community Service Award, which we don't vote on. The Twins just figure from their end who did the most community service. And I guess it's not surprising to me that Pablo Lopez also won that. Right. Because, I mean, he did so much stuff. We'd see him with kids pregame, visiting hospitals, doing all sorts of stuff. Right. Well, like, basically, if there was an opportunity to do something, uh, Lopez and, and often his family uh, would be doing it. So, uh MVP ballot, let's just go through, compare and contrast here. We both had Sonny Gray number one. Yep. Uh, I had Pablo Lopez yep. as a fairly clear-cut number two, but... <clears throat> yeah, I had I had a five-way tie for number two, but I... And because I have to break... I wanted to break the tie, you know, I have to 
do them. Uh, I actually ended up with Pablo Lopez behind the four hitters for the reason we talked about. Okay. You know, that basically I, I was going to give the hitters the inside track on that. And so my number two was uh, Castro with, uh, I don't know, where did Castro end up on yours? Three, four, six. five, six. Yeah. I had uh, Jeffers as three, Kepler as four, and Royce Lewis as five. Okay. I mean, I think that's reasonable. Uh, I had Gray number one, Pablo Lopez number two. I do think, I get what you're saying. Did, did we did we have two, two through six the same way, just in different yes. orders? Yes. <laughs> that's what I kind of figured, yeah. I do think, though, if Sonny Gray were removed, if we could wipe our brains of Sonny Gray, right. you would have voted Lopez team MVP. I don't think so. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I would. Because like I said, if in a tie like that, you I would have voted Willie Castro for team MVP? You think Willie Castro was I might, the I might have. I might have gone Jeffers on that. Well, I, I was really torn between Kepler and uh, – or between uh, Castro and Jeffers. So I went Gray, Lopez. I went Gray, half step down. Lopez, half step down. Royce Lewis, third. Kepler, fourth. Jeffers, fifth. Castro, sixth. And then I think Duran, there was so much focus on – the fact that he wasn't as sharp as he was last season, the guy finished with a two forty ERA. Right. Uh, ha- by the way, top ten in the American League in WPA for relievers, top ten in strikeout rate, top ten in expected ERA. I looked at his actual like hits allowed last year two oh seven opponents batting average. This year two oh seven opponents batting average. Right. He allowed a three twenty slugging percentage. His strikeout rate was nearly identical to last year. The only thing that really changed was the walks. And that does go with the general sense that he wasn't as sharp. But really, that was just like a you know month-long stretch in the second half. He finished on a high note. He was great in the playoffs, although that doesn't factor into this. We yeah. vote before the playoffs. Um, but I think he set such like an impossibly high standard yeah. as a rookie. I agree with you. Actually. And so yeah. anytime he struggles, people are like, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? And you look and yes, he walked too many guys this year. Yeah. His walk rate, I think, went from like 2.1 per nine to 3.6. That's too many. But he was almost identically unhittable. As last year. His but, WPA went down from last year, too. Yes, but also he was used right. in a much different way. Well, there were a lot of spots where he was put into bases loaded, two men on, pitched multiple innings, that sort of thing, in a fireman role, fair. which is going to lend itself fair. to, if you pitch well on that, you can rack up WPA. I'm not saying he was as good. I just think it, it was, he still finished top 10 yes. in yes. WPA. Yeah. Uh, he led Twins relievers like by far. He was second to Gray, yes. I think, on the whole team. Yes, he was. Um, I just think... There's a difference between – it's worth differentiating for a player as good as him between, boy, he wasn't as sharp as last season with – well, he was still – I mean, if this would have – if he would have done this last season, we'd still be extremely hyped up about John Duran. Right. Like yeah. as yeah. A, just oh, an sure. overall oh, entity. Sure. Yes. So I think that was worth saying. And so then, did, you, did you have him at number seven then? I mean, I would argue he could maybe even be six, but yeah, six or seven with Castro. Uh, I, I had him basically tied with Polanco. Seven and eight. I okay. basically had those two tied, and I ended up going with Polanco over Duran. But you know, I didn't. Have, again, I didn't necessarily. Yeah, you are very time. much uh, veering towards Lavelle territory I, I, with, I, the, with the pitching side. <laughs> well, I don't five don't, years I sh- you'll be there. I, yeah, I don't feel that way quite as much with relievers as I do with starters. Go but. smoke like four thousand cigars, <laughs> chug a thing of bourbon, <laughs> right. and you'll be there. Become the mayor of uh, Fort Myers, and then <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, my other so I had Gray, Lopez, Lewis, Kepler, Jeffers, Duran, Castro, 
I would say Julian and then Ober. Yep. And then I instead of Polanco, I had Michael Taylor. Okay. But I mean, that's splitting hairs. Yep. Basically. I had Taylor also made my top 10. I gave Taylor like a little extra credit. I mean, first of all. Ober he, was 11. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, again, you, yeah. you hate pitchers. That's what <laughs> yeah. we've, we've decided here. We've realized yeah, that. I also just, in a season where pitching clearly carried them, I feel yeah. like discounting the pitchers That's fair. feels a little weird to me. That's fair. Um, but on Taylor versus Polanco, Polanco was really good, especially once he came back in the second half. But he only played like 80 games total. Yeah. And Taylor played, I don't know, 125 games. And I also give Taylor a, like a little extra credit for the save their ass factor. Yep. Which is he was not brought in to start 110, 120 games in center field. He was brought in to be the fourth outfielder to step in when Buxton inevitably missed time. Instead, he just became the everyday center fielder. And I'm not saying he was a you know a great hitter, but he was an okay hitter. He had some good moments. He popped 20 homers. He was good on the bases, and he was excellent defensively. And also, he just played you know a thousand innings in center field, where their alternatives, especially early in the season. We're going to be real iffy. It was going to be like Joey Gallo in center field. Now, Castro kind of emerged as an option, although I don't think they wanted to play him every day in center field. So I give Taylor a little extra credit just for like a what would they have done without him truly. I mean, I did the same thing in 2019 with Kepler moving to uh, helping out in center field right. when Buxton went down. Like that was a, a light thing. I ended up making Taylor, did make my list. He was number 10. He was just behind Julian. And okay. basically, I mean, again, those two were, those two and Ober were basically tied. Um, you know, I I could I actually when we I kind of do my, my hate pictures when I did it. when I did my numbers thing I actually had Taylor up higher than Julian I just kind of went I'm not putting Julian just helped solidify the top of that order so much yeah. that uh, you know once he kind of came in and decided we, we were going to put him at leadoff spot you know his WPA was not particularly good which is kind of shocked me given how many no but it was right. solidly positive it was I th- I think it was zero point one no. Really? It was like point – well, maybe look at different ones. Maybe if I was looking at fan graphs. But first of all, he only played 100 games. But Yes, right. I think – Just me, I, just me, I, I, I never no, get Julian higher than Taylor anyway because right. I just felt in my heart – I get what you're saying. The more valuable player. What I would say on WPA is we both like it a lot. Some people hate that we like it. <laughs> it's not predictive, which we've gone over. It does – I think serve as a good recap, which is precisely what we're trying to do here. Right. Of like, you can say, "Oh, this guy, like Willie Castro, is a perfect example." You can go, "Oh, Willie Castro had a you know, seven twenty five OPS. He was like basically an average hitter, right. but the impact he made with those average yeah. hitting skills yeah. Yeah. was like much higher WBA, because yeah. he hit like three sixty with runners in scoring mm-hmm. position or late and close or whatever. And he, I think, right. he was tied for right. the team lead That's among okay. hitters in WPA. That, so doesn't, I get mean, that doesn't mean that he's going to be that right. next year. It just but, means he did that this year. Right. right. And he gets what I'll say about right. like someone like Julian, and I know who else was sort of uh, sort of in that boat. I mean, Taylor, Jeffers was like that a little bit. Right. I still gave Jeffers a number three overall. So. And so I think there's a tendency, maybe because we overplayed WPA possibly, but to look and go, oh, well, this guy had really good numbers. But he was only like sort of closer to neutral-ish right. in WPA. But the, I think people sometimes confuse WPA with war, right. whereas war is set on a right. scale of replacement level, right. which a replacement level player yes. is like a freely available AAA waiver wire. A team full right. of replacement level players will win like 50 games. They'll be right. the worst team in the league. That's the goal of right. it. Whereas 
WPA right. is set at a baseline of average, right. and an average team will, will win 80, 81, 81 games, games. <laughs> right, exactly and right. basically uh, almost be a playoff yeah, team. Yeah. But I mean, mathematically, that's the way where it works out with WPA. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so, all I mean here is, you look at Julian or Jeffers, or I know Taylor was barely barely above average. And you go, I mean, even someone like Kepler didn't have an amazing WPA right. no, right. given you're how right. good they you're were right. in the second half. Yep. And you go, wow, they're like 0. 0.1 or 0. 0.2. We got to remember, zero is an average, true. you know, 80 win right. caliber you're, player. Yes. And so even being 0. 0.2 means you're like an 85 win player. Right. And so maybe that's a little underwhelming given like Julian's overall numbers, but that's the only point I would make there. It's like, I think there's a, a fair point. To, when you look at WPA and you go, my, this guy's zero. Zero is pretty good. Like zero, the equivalent for war, which is wins above replacement, an exactly average player will have like two and a half or three war <laughs> right, sometimes, yeah, right. depending on the playing time, obviously. But um, okay, so yeah, I don't know. Not a ton of disagreement there, other than John so just, hates just, kind of, just kind of a different shuffling of the different. Yeah, the I same think. Tier. I mean, I think in general that speaks to. I mean, look. Obviously, Sonny Gray was great. That, him being on the top of everyone's ballot. I don't know if it was unanimous or what, but I think he was a. I know actually, I know it wasn't unanimous. Um, but the part about like two through six or seven being sort of interchangeable, I disagree with that. I would put Lopez, but in general, uh, I think speaks to what we saw and talked about all season with the lineup, which yeah. is they didn't do it with a standout performance. No one played, you know, more than a hundred and. 10 games right. and had a great season. No. Like Kepler is the closest to that probably, right. but even he was platooned. He had a bad first half. He was banged up a little. He had a really good season, but there was no like, oh, this guy was an all-star hitter. What they got was a lot of guys for 50 or 70 or 80 or 100 games, a lot of guys in part-time roles, a lot of guys who got called up mid-season and made a, hu a huge impact. And so it was what they did offensively, they did via depth and mixing, matching, and the arrival of Julian, Lewis, and Walner, but because those were midseason arrivals, and in a couple cases took, it didn't take right, right away because the Twins were hesitant to hand them jobs, you end up with Walner had an amazing per-game numbers, but he only played 70 games, and Royce Lewis only played 58 games. So I think that's kind of, I don't know, borne out in this. Uh, to me, the, the story of that list is that Correa was nowhere near it. Yes. Which you know, I'm, I don't and, know where and, I would and, put and, him, but yeah, I, I mean, like how how many the, I would have to go to put. The him? truth is, is I think he was right about eleven through fourteen, something like that. Like just having a, a shortstop who he wasn't an a league average offensive hitter, but he was kind of a league average right. offensive hitter that just did not hit in the clutch at all. Right. Which, again, if I'm going to give credit for hitting in the clutch and a high WPA, I have yes. to take credit away he, for doing it. By the way, right. going back to kind of the idea of zero being valuable right, in right. WPA, he was negative 2.4, which I think it was by far the worst on the team. I think yes. it was like one of the three yes. worst in the American League. Yes. And so like, if he just played good defense, which he did right. at a key spot, and was just a 95 OP, a slightly below average hitter, well, that just makes him Michael Taylor, right. basically, who I put 10th. Right. Except the difference was Taylor's slightly below average hitting relative to the league, and really for the position, sort of averageish hitting, which is true of Correa right. too. Well, he actually did pretty well in some clutch <laughs> yeah, spots. Right, yeah, well, Correa right. not only didn't do well in clutch spots, he was abysmal, abysmal right. in clutch spots, yep. and so that knocks him down. I do think you know just the fact that he was in there every day and he he did play a good shortstop, but I just think he he ended up because they were so hesitant until late 
moving him down in the lineup. He came up in so many I big know. spots, and he just so rarely came through. And within that, grounded into so many rally-killing double plays. Killing You're double right. plays You're right. I think he would huge. probably even tell you, yeah. if he were sitting here, um, he'd say, why am I hanging out with you two idiots? <laughs> but would probably tell you, you know, I don't deserve to be anywhere near the, the top 10. You know, it's tricky at that point because it's like, well, then he was a negative offensively. He was a positive defensive when he played a ton, and I don't know how they necessarily would have was, replaced him. So was Michael Taylor, right. you know, but he wasn't quite as negative offensively. Right. No, right. I, yeah, I, that's kind of how I that, that, he's a good comp, right? That if you're, if yes. you're looking for similar, if Correa players. had just been slightly below average overall offensively and in clutch right. spots, and he had grounded into fourteen double plays instead of thirty <laughs> double plays, I do think there would be an argument. You know, ninth, Probably tenth, eleventh, something yeah, like that. I agree. Um, okay, so before we move on to uh, other non-award related things, let's talk about our first <laughs> batch of sponsors here. Hatch, so they uh, they sent me one of these, and here's how I would describe it. It's sort of like an all-in-one sleep machine, I would call it. <laughs> they can use that I, if I they want. Like, yeah, it can help you machine, right? kind of set the environment of your bedroom. Um, it can help you go to sleep. It can provide like uh, white noise or however right. you'd like to, yep. you know, rain sounds. White, pink, brown noise, other sleep sounds yes. inspired by nature, sure. You know, which I found helpful. And then it can help you sleep. It can also then serve as an alarm, but not in a way that is the worst sound in the world. <laughs> yep, yep. Where it can wake you up sort of gradually, either yep. through sights and sounds and sounds, light. Sounds or light, yeah. Yes. Right. And so if you want to wake up, to the sounds of birds out in a forest, you know, a gradually getting rainfall. louder, yeah. they can do that yeah. for you. Or you can just have an alarm so, if sounds you want awesome, to do that actually. too. So uh, it's, uh, I, I don't know, It's as someone who has struggled with sleep, getting to sleep, staying to sleep, staying asleep, all that. It through. can also kind of teach you yourself, develop the habit of sleeping. Like once you do that, you kind of get used to learning right. how to fall asleep and how to wake up and so on. So right now, Hatch is offering our listeners 20 bucks off your purchase of Hatch Restore 2 and free shipping at hatch.co slash Gleeman. You can sleep deeply and wake gently with the Restore 2. Go to hatch.co slash gleaming, and you're going to get 20 bucks off and free shipping. That's hatch.co slash gleaming. Hatch, A-H-A-T-C-H dot co, C-O, hatch.co slash gleaming. And Harry's razors. I mean. Long time There's no question that I shave. (laughs) I was oblivious to how much my face was scratching Chrissy's face when our faces would touch. It's true love. Right <laughs> for, for 10, 12 years. I, I did not understand that uh, that my, which seems like a baby face, which can't really grow a beard, yeah. you know, does in fact have very scratchy stubble. And I, I figured that out when I uh, started using Harry's razors because with Harry's razors, I didn't have to worry about having this razor, like the razor was not sitting there for two months. Because I didn't want right. to go buy more razors. The idea, <laughs> part of the, the the appeal of Harry's is you can just get the stuff delivered right. To right. You. But yes. within that, the other appeal is, you know, I think a lot of people will let their razors go yeah. Yeah. far past the point when they should be replaced because replacing them 
is a, is pain, a pain in the butt. Right? You got to go somewhere. You got to talk to somebody and have yeah. them get it out of a case. They yeah. unlock I would, it. I would never have dreamed with my old razors of shaving against the grain because that's the way I would cut up my face. Right. But I've always got a very sharp razor with Harry's. Right. And so I, I shave once with the grain and once away from the grain. And my face is so much smoother right now. So they've basically, I like Chrissy liking my face. <laughs> can you imagine liking that face? It's a face only a wife could love. Uh, Harry's has kind of eliminated the middleman, so they sell you high quality razors at a very good price point. And right. if you need new ones, you don't say to yourself, ah, "I can probably use this for another month and scratch my right. face up." You just go, "Oh, I'll yeah. just order new ones." They yeah. ship it right to your door. Yeah. Five, and five blades, half the price, great packaging, delivered to your. So it's it's revolutionized the industry. It's basically taken over the. Industry. So they have a trial set. Right which is a $13 value, and they're offering it for just 3 bucks. So it's a perfect way to give Harry's a try. Right. All you have to do is go to Harry's, H-A-R-R-Y-S, harrys.com slash Gleeman, and you'll get a five-blade German-engineered razor, has a weighted handle, they'll give you foaming shave gel, and also a nice travel cover. Right. So you'll feel like you're really a That's professional right. business That's person. Right. Yeah. Uh, shaving, all you have to do uh, is get started with a $13 trial set for only 3 bucks at harrys.com slash Gleeman. That's harrys.com slash Gleeman for the $3 trial set. Okay. Uh, we're going to run through this stuff quickly because we really covered more in-depth on the Patreon yeah. side. P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com. We'd love to have you join us. Um, one of the better things the twins do. Yes. And, that, and I think maybe one of the more unique things they do. I'm not sure many other Major League Baseball teams provide this kind of opportunity to yeah, their I asked teams. around about this. I'd say it's more do than don't. Oh, really? Although even that, it's most of them are more of a structured. So what we're talking about is fr last Friday um, right. after the season, yeah. what, two days after the season ended or something yeah. like that, yeah. the Twins held a pretty informal, um, it was going to be in the clubhouse, but then we moved it to the interview room. Right. Basically, all the people who cover the team on a day to day basis. They all sat in a circle, and like also John, singing Kumbaya. Because we all need John there. <laughs> Every party needs John. That's right. Uh, yeah, we sat in like a little prayer circle <laughs> with uh, Derek Falvey, the president of baseball ops, and Rocco Baldelli, the manager. And they just said, All right, ask us whatever. Right. And there was not a single question asked that they said, I'm not going to answer that. Now, we can't guarantee that the answers they gave were right. that forthcoming. Right. But right. the vibe of it was. Shoot, go ahead. Yep. Uh, and they did it last year, and they do it pretty much every year. So I give them credit uh, for that. We talked actually a lot more about that, like the value of teams right. doing yes. that versus like, I don't know, the Angels or somebody right. who just won't do that. Right. Um, but so there were a few – there were like a handful of things from that, and I've written about it, and we did a whole Patreon about it. So if you want like full-on discussion of yes. some of these topics. I wrote about a twist daily. Yes. Yeah, we both learned about 10, 12, 15 things that – But uh, there were – like About four or five season. things yep. from that that we I definitely want to at least run through here. The first of which was news that Buxton and Kirilov are they may have now already had it, but we're headed for surgeries. Right. Uh, Buxton knee surgery was having the plica removed on his knee, which is like a fold that some people have that they feel has been leading to the patella tendonitis or the patella soreness right. that they're hopeful that can be removed. Now, obviously he had knee surgery around this time last year and right. that didn't go particularly well. Um, and then Kirilov who injured his shoulder in like mid June was out for a while, rehabbed, came back, hit okay. And then was very bad in the playoffs and made the error at first base in game three. He is undergoing or has undergone right shoulder surgery for a torn labrum. Right. Now, 
they needed they didn't know when we talked to him on friday the extent of the damage like you know a quote-unquote torn labrum there's a big spectrum there yeah. they, they've, they've got they've got imaging and such on it but they're going to know better right. once they get in and do the surgery they which thought is, it was coming week. it was more like fraying and a slight right. or a partial tear versus a fully torn labrum i mean it's a much worse injury for a pitcher, obviously, right. than yes. uh, the non-throwing arm of a first baseman left fielder. But <laughs> yes. that's a significant injury. I mean, for a pitcher, that's the worst injury you can get right. is a torn labrum. Right. Uh, it's significantly worse than the Tommy John elbow injury right. torn UCL. Yes. In terms of like recovery time and, and – Ability to ever pitch at a, at a high level again. Right. Percentage <laughs> right. Yes. of people who have that surgery and come back to get to where they were right. is much, much lower for a labrum. It's different for Kirilov. So the hope with him is it's relatively minor as opposed to a full-on – torn labrum but we'll see uh and then jose miranda also has a season-long shoulder problem he was going for surgery then the surgeon advised him it sounded like well let's rehab it and see where it's at in a little bit he may still end up having surgery it was a little less certain than buxton and and kirloff you know obviously the buxton one is the headline you know we've talked about his knee Probably more than any subject over the last three years, unfortunately, and just his injuries in general for the last sure. eight years or whatever. I'm sure it's probably the biggest topic. In Buxton's knee or Kirloff's wrist, we've talked yeah, about that. Yeah, it's Kirloff's shoulder. In terms of MVP votes, yeah. that would be the number one. Yes. Number two, we've yeah. got a clear winner, and then we've got a, a good right. second one. Yeah, right. And then half that, step above the rest. And then Terry Doyle <laughs> is number three. There's a, there's a reference for a long time. Oh my list. god. Um, yeah. So. With Buxton, you know, the way they expressed this one was that they've kind of been searching for what the problem is here. Yes. You know, he had the surgery on his knee, which they initially described as a cleanup last year, a little earlier this last year, but roughly, you know, 13 months ago or something like that, and then just wasn't ready, like was at spring training and not through any fault of his, like he works his ass off by all accounts. It's not like he's skipping rehab or anything. Right. but they came in the middle of spring training. They basically said, well, he's not ready to play center. We're going to have him as the DH just because we'd like him to start the season. And then he just never was ready to play center. So then the question becomes, well, will he ever be able to play center field? Because being a full-time DH didn't really necessarily no. work. Yeah. And so the hope is, you know, there's been some talk of assist in his knee. Now there's this talk of the plica. Uh, kind of flap that that leads to some difficulty that not everyone has in their knee, but he he does have. I think certainly they're at the point where they're like, you know, why does this continue to be a problem? It's not like he's got a torn ACL. That doesn't necessarily mean that these aren't very serious issues. You you don't know exactly what is causing the irritation that's causing the inflammation that's causing the pain. And so their best guess right now on that is this. It's, you know, not a it's an arthroscopic knee surgery. It's not a big major, right. you know, uh, we're cutting open the knee to kind of get in there and clean stuff out. It's, you hope. We, we, we hope, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I just went through arthroscopic knee surgery. It was not the same thing. But the point is is that it is something that is, you can recover very quickly from it. Yeah, you were yeah. drinking. You were <laughs> yeah. doing bar hopping literally two days, two days later. later. I was doing two days I don't think Buxton's going to be No, the, something but tells if, me. if he needs to consult with me, that's what I would probably recommend. Yeah, if you see <laughs> him at, was it O'Don- what's the Irish place? Finnegan's. Uh, Finnegan's. Finnegan's, yeah. If you see him at Finnegan's. You'll know he's following the bonus yeah. plan for- uh, It worked for you? <laughs> 
I, I recommend going up to the Northeast Palace, watching Nato Coles. That's what I did today. Yeah, <laughs> today's this later. is what I would recommend for anyone who's looking at go, Tom Petty and the replacements. To go insane <laughs> with their bad knee. Um, don't take the Gleam implant because the Gleam implant is ignore it. firing away 350. He'll have to be a DH, not because of his knee, but because he can't run anymore. Um, so that's where they're at with that. Um, you know, those are two very important players. Yes. But they're also two players whose importance, because of, like you said, with Kirloff, this is now the third major surge, arm surgery, right, let's yeah, call it, right. in three years for him. Yeah. The first two being wrist. Uh, and with Buxton, it's, you know, the second knee surgery in two years, but also probably yeah. like the eighth <laughs> overall <laughs> yeah. surgery. Yeah. And so these are two theoretically extremely important, you know, building block players, but they're no longer being viewed as that. Because right. of the injuries. Yeah. And so on the one hand, you don't want to block either of them at a position. Right. On the other hand, you don't want to count on either of them at a right. position. So, so it's tricky. Yeah. I think, you know, that's where we talked about Michael Taylor stepping in center field. I think they will certainly, whether it's re-signing Taylor, which I think should be doable, you know, going with Willie Castro more in center, yeah. going with someone like Austin Martin in center, or finding a new version of Michael Taylor, a veteran right. short-term, you know, center fielder. Um, they need that. You cannot enter, and they know this. I mean, this is one of the things they talked about on Friday, last Friday. You cannot enter spring training or even like get to the new year. Saying Byron Buxton is going to be our starting center right, fielder. Because you just know that's not, even in a like best case scenario, he's not going to play 125 games in center right, field. I mean, let's right, be honest. Right. There's much less there's much less chance of that than there is of him playing zero games in center field. Yes, right. And so you need to plan accordingly. And I thought last offseason, for the first time, the Twins did plan accordingly. It wasn't just yes. Jake Cave right. as the backup center fielder. They stopped hoping that Buxton would be the center fielder and instead actually made moves with Taylor yeah. to ensure that when he isn't the starting center fielder, we actually have a starting caliber center fielder. And I think they absolutely must do that again this offseason, and I think they will. With Kirilov, you can sort of say the same thing, except he was productive for stretches this year. I mean, he was one of their best hitters for about sure, two months. Yeah, yeah. But also first base is tricky because – the difficulty of replacing Buxton is that you need that specific skill set, which Taylor offered. You can't just plug and play any outfielder. Sure. Particularly, you know, Kepler doesn't slide over to center. Right. You could try someone like Gallo, but you don't really want to do that. You know, obviously, Walner's not going to be in center, all that. But at first base, you could pretty much slide anybody you want over there. Now, it might take a little work. Right. But, I mean, ultimately, they started playing Julian there. It took a while. Arise, <laughs> Sano, Maurer. I mean, first base, you can put almost anybody there. They might not be Keith Hernandez, Gold Glove winning, Doug right. Mankiewicz, right. but they're passable. And so that makes it, I think, even trickier with Kirilov because with Buxton, you may kind of hold on to this last notion of, well, if we can just get him as a part-time center fielder, that has so much value. Right. Because replacing him in center field is difficult. But with Kirilov, he's not going to be a part-time anything. I mean, he might be yeah. a platoon player. But what I mean is he's not going to be part of like some rotation at first base. He's either going to be healthy enough and good enough to play first base, or you're going to find a different first base. Well, yeah, either he hits well enough that you find a place I mean. to put him into the lineup, right? right. Or you don't. Right. <laughs> right. What right. I mean is like you not you don't go, well, we'll find like an okay first baseman and keep the door open for you either have to kind of buy into Kirloff or don't because that's not a position you can afford to get a lack of production right, at. Yes. Because everyone else in the league 
he's getting you know 20 homers from first base minimally basically i do think this year worked out pretty well in terms of platooning kirloff he played mostly against righties with solano a veteran right-handed yeah. bat who played a lot but you know primarily against lefties, lefties right. solano's 36 he didn't finish great but he had a really solid season i think that role paired with kirloff works pretty well and then solano was also a backup like at third yeah. and second i think you know you could re-sign solano just like you could re-sign taylor he's certainly not going to cost a lot at 37 right. no, you're right. or you could just try to find an upgrade on solano or internally try to find someone i think jose miranda as a right-handed yeah. first baseman yeah. who can play a yeah. little third base yeah. be nice. could fill the solano role except he's every bit of a injury question mark for the exact same shoulder right. situation as as kirloff so that's you know center field and first base are definitely things we're, you're going to hear us talk about a lot as we look at like free agents and trade yes. options and and the depth chart yeah. and stuff. But not necessarily top end of any right. either of those positions. More right? of a it's Taylor, more of a, Solano. Yeah, yeah, that's, right. that's that's what they yes. need. Yes. Basically, yeah. is role, good role players who, if you have to push them into a bigger role, they can they can right. you know swim more than sink. And I mean. Uh, just so we're clear, Solano signed one week into spring training. Yes. That, that's when they decided For to address $2 million. It, you know? And so I would not be shocked if we get you know, into February and right. we still don't have, know who the first baseman, in part because they want to see what Kirilov's situation well, looks Miranda like three too. weeks and Miranda as well. You know, so yes. both of those moves, I mean, center field could be much the same way. They made a trade for Taylor. They didn't even yeah. sign him. They traded it for him in what, January? Yeah, Late something January. like that. Yeah, so. uh, okay, so the other... Uh, I don't know. They talked about Sonny Grace free agency, but again, we talked a lot about this on the Patreon. The the biggest thing for me, other than the injury stuff we just talked about, payroll. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get to the payroll. But the yeah. other thing was Louis Varlin. Oh, yeah. which it, they mentioned him on two different fronts, and they were asked about him specifically. But first, they talked about him as well. Okay, Sonny Gray is a free agent, and Kent Maeda is a free agent. Where does that leave your rotation, kind of heading into the off season? And Falvey listed off. He said, well, we got five guys. If yeah, we needed right. to start today. We've got them. Yep. We got it. We got Lopez and Ryan and Ober and Paddock, who they're really counting on, and Louis Varlin, number yes. five. And then about three minutes later, someone said, well, what role, like, does this mean Varlin is just going right back to starting? <laughs> and then Baldelli and said. <laughs> Baldelli was like, well, I don't know. We got to talk to him because the guy looked, well. Baldelli was clearly very excited about yes. how Louis Varlin looked. He was enthused <laughs> to the point of cursing about how good Louis Varlin yes. looked and yes. performed, not yes. just looked. Yes, right. Um, he had an eighteen to one strikeout to walk ratio in like thirteen innings or something <laughs> as a reliever. Uh, but I mean, he was throwing ninety eight, ninety nine right. with the fastball. His cutter was fantastic at like ninety one, ninety two. It was just missing bats. Um, you know, he just has such power stuff, and that's exactly what they thought he would look like as a reliever. Right. They started talking about shifting him to the bullpen in August. But Varlin at the time said, well, I kind of want to talk to them about the long-term uh, outlook here because I'd like to remain good a starter. starter right. First of all, I think I can be a good starter, right. which the Twins think he can be a good yeah. starter. Falvey certainly still believes yes. he can be a, a good so starter. Falvey and was, I think Baldelli does too. was but. much more sort of um, – you know, holding the cards close to the vest here, <laughs> yeah, basically so. saying, well, if the season started right now, he'd be our fifth starter. Right. So clearly we view him as a potential starter. Right. But I think Baldelli, who maybe has a shorter term view of the situation, <laughs> exactly. sees a guy who throws like that out of the bullpen and he's licking his chops because yeah, he's starting to say, well, hell, I, I can pitch the eighth inning for me. right now. Right. Yep. And so I think that's... Pry that gun for my cold, dead hand. Yes, basically. <laughs> right, yeah. It's an interesting like, kind of philosophical debate yeah. if it ends up being this way, which is, you know, I think right now 
Louis Varlin would be penciled in as their fifth starter. But I do think most likely, whether it's re-signing Gray, re-signing Maeda, or trying to get a veteran along those same lines via trade or free agency, the odds of those five being their five starters on opening day are very slim. I think at the very least, they will try to bring in I a Gray replacement. Than 50%, right. Probably, yeah. And so once that happens, if you bring in one starter, then Louis Varlin becomes your sixth starter. Right. And the sixth starter, as we saw with Bailey Ober this year, probably starts the year in St. Paul at AAA. Perhaps. So then the discussion becomes not only long term, <laughs> yeah. is he better off, for, is he more valuable to you as a starter or a reliever? But even in, then in the short term, it's, well, if you're Louis Varland right. and you want to be a starter, <laughs> would you rather be a starter at AAA or a reliever in the majors? Right. And that's a different question that's than right. would you rather be yes. a starter or a reliever. So it's an interesting – I don't know. I think they – view. I'll say how I view him as a starter, which is I have no doubt he can be a good starter in the major leagues. I do have some doubt given his lack of you know, third and fourth pitch basically and some of the homer issues he's yeah. had, yep. which you can trace back to that. Yep. Can he be more than like an a a good? Can he be more, more than, than a mid like rotation. a third or a good third or fourth starter? Right. Which, by the way, th- those guys make fifteen million dollars a year in free agency. <laughs> right, yes. Those guys, without those guys, you don't make playoffs. Right. But can he be like a true playoff caliber starter? Can right. he be a number two starter type of guy? Can he be closer to a Sonny Gray than you know a, I don't know a fifth or you know a fifth or sixth starter? Right. That I don't know. I mean, I think it's possible he can, but I think it's also possible he can't. Whereas I tend to think, and clearly Baldelli thinks this, and I suspect most of the Twins' decision makers think this. He's we, already we shown know that he today, can do that. Yeah, right. Because relief pitching, can you can boil it down to much simpler terms. You know, it's not about what does this guy have durability? Can he go through a lineup three times? How is his third pitch? You know, all this stuff. With relief pitching, a lot of the time, it's just does he have – one dominant pitch and one second pitch that's pretty good, right. he can probably be a relief pitcher. And in Varlin's case, you see a guy throwing 99 and he's got a good cutter. It's like right. there's n- there's no math that needs to be done here. He can be a good reliever right, right yes. now. And he already is. And so that, I think, is another key. You know, that may not reveal itself in terms of their actual thinking Unless or until they kind of complete their shopping for the yes. for the winter, yeah, you know, I, yeah, it feels to me like another question that's going to be answered real late, potentially in spring training. Right, right. I mean, if they add two veteran starters and he's seventh on the starting pitcher depth chart, then yeah. you know it could be. Yep. If they don't add any veteran right. relievers, then you're starting to go. Oh, well, I think yep. he'll be in the bullpen. Right. Uh, and then the last thing we'll just touch on this very briefly because we talked about this for like a half hour on the Patreon, and we actually talked about it then on the next Patreon. Somebody asked mailbag questions about the tv situation okay yeah right but you know this time of year guys like us try to project the payroll for next year and kind of where the books stand in terms of guaranteed salaries arbitration options and all that we'll probably go through have a patreon episode where we for sure we go completely through the twins payroll situation how much that's the type of bs we spend an hour on on patreon (laughs) so if you're thinking what what do they do on patreon um but it's trickier than ever this year they're never super revealing about it But usually you can at least say, well, what was the payroll this year? That'll probably at least be the payroll next year. But for the first time, that may not be the case because their television contract expired. Re-upping with Bally is, I think, probably a non-starter because two months ago, Bally was trying not to pay them on the existing contract. Also, Bally's in bankruptcy Right. Uh, Diamond Sports, Sinclair right. Broadcast Group, but that's Bally. They can't come to an agreement on the streaming rights. Right. Like, so it's, it's like, why would you yeah. re-up with yeah. them? Yeah. yeah. And for years, they haven't even offered streaming rights to any right. additional partners. Or Bally. Right. I mean, the right. whole industry 
is in chaos, right. essentially. Correct. The, the bro- local yeah. sports broadcast. Yeah, the Twins are having the same problem with Bally Sports North that that multiple other teams are having yes. with various Bally affiliates, right? But then you go, okay, so their 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 contract is up, which is good timing. You would hate to still be under contract for five more years with Bally, but their contract is up, and this was a multi-year contract. Like this happened before the Bally fell apart. Right. right. Then you go, well, what's their all like? Where can they jump to? And there are no doubt options locally, but I don't know that there's any options looking to pay because Bally, we found out because Dave St. Peter had to testify at a bankruptcy trial, paid them $55 million a year to broadcast Twins games locally. Well, I can almost assure you that (laughs) I can assure you (laughs) whether they re up with Bally, whether they find a different local channel to go to whether they go purely streaming whether they go under mlb's umbrella which the padres and diamondbacks have done and other teams may do or whether they just offer a standalone streaming product which some teams may try to do they ain't going to make 55 million dollars off it next year maybe in the future it grows to the point that you're making as much or more but immediately it's in so much chaos you're just not going to make the same money well if you go from making $55 million, which is about, I don't know, 20% of their overall revenue, roughly, something like that, and you, let's say you make $25 million instead, well, that missing $30 million in revenue is going to lower right. the yes. payroll or make it less likely that you're going to maintain payroll. Because right. theoretically, right. you spend about 50%. Of revenue on payroll, or you should be at least. And so, if even a postseason run and additional season yeah, tickets, and all I actually that asked stuff. about that. Yeah, somebody who would know uh, how much do you make off the postseason? Because they had uh, what they have four, four games, four yeah. playoff games. Yeah. They were like, "Well, look, it helps, but it's not going to make up for the 50 gap million. fifty-five <laughs> million no, dollars, no, right? Or be, even right. twenty million. I right. mean, it's single millions, right. not yes. Yes. you know right. double-digit millions and right. all that." And so that, to me, is the biggest question because if you look, the Twins spent roughly 155, 158 million this year, which was a franchise record. It was 17th in baseball. We used to, you know, moan a lot about the payroll, but we've kind of ceased doing that. I mean, obviously, any fan of any team wants that team to spend more. Sure. And I do think there's an argument for just saying, "Y'all are billionaires. What do you care? Spend an extra 10 million." But to me, given the market size and their revenues of Minnesota, being dead average, just exactly average, you know, 17 out of 30, which is just average, seems reasonable to me right. for Minnesota. And it's also pretty consistently number two in the American League Central, which is who they're competing with. If they were to be able to maintain this year's payroll and not even – usually year over year you're getting a small, you know, increase in spending just because – you know, right. Same as everything increases year right. over year. In general, across Major League Baseball, salaries climb ten to fifty. Or overall payroll for the thirty teams climbs, you know, five to ten to fifteen percent, something, like, something that, like, that, yeah. like that. Right. So even if they said, because of this uncertain television situation and the likely drop in local TV revenue, at least short term, that we're going to experience, the payroll is not going to rise. Right. We're going to maintain it at like one fifty five, one fifty eight, one sixty, or something right. like that. They have plenty of spending room if that were the case. They're going to have within that probably 40 or 50 million. Yeah. Now, you're losing gray. You need to find yeah. a starting pitcher. Yeah. I mean, that can get spent in a hurry. But I've got, I got is, about 30 to 40, but yeah, keep going. They're not up against it if right. they maintain the same payroll. However, if they went from making 55 million off local TV to making 30 million off local TV 
and that twenty-five million in lost revenue equaled ten or fifteen million in declined right. payroll. Right. Suddenly, you've got twenty-five or thirty Things million to spend. Right. You need to spend half that at least on just replacing Sonny Gray and maybe replacing Kenta Maeda. Right. Let alone trying to find a new center fielder, trying to find a first baseman. Then it starts to go in a hurry, yes. and so that's why it's relevant. But again, these are one of these. I got the sense from Falvey that. He's not even – there's so much uncertainty right. from yeah. their end, and yep. they obviously have much more information than us. This is just a chaotic environment to try to be figuring this out. Well, and you've got also, you know, you've got Joe Paulette in charge now instead of Jim Paulette. I'm not saying suggesting there's going to be a whole big difference right. in terms of what they do, but the fact that they made a little bit of a postseason run, are they willing to maybe, you know, risk an extra $10 million in right. payroll above what they would normally be comfortable with just to cover that which they might lose from the – I mean, that's a possibility as well. One of the things that Falvey kind of talk has talked about is, you know, when – they have the conversation with ownership. They will say, you know, we can put payroll at this level, this level, or this level. And here's what the difference is going to be in terms of what we can provide right. and get and so on. And let's pick which one it is. And maybe in this particular case, even given the fact that they've got declining revenues from TV revenue, they say, you know what? Given those three options, we're going to we're gonna invest a little more in it because we feel like this is the year that we've got the fans behind us because they've actually seen some postseason run. They're going to start believing the regular season a little more. Yeah, I mean, if they asked – us, which they never would. <laughs> but if they asked us, that is certainly the case I would present. This is the time to probably lean into yes. it a little bit. I mean, bit. look, right. it's easy to spend other people's money. I get right. that. Yes. But right. $10 million to the Polo family means nothing. I understand they, they try to operate within a business structure sure. and try not to lose money. Right. I would argue you're in no danger of that. <laughs> you know, the asset you bought 40 years ago for $50 million is now worth $2 billion. Yeah. So even if you were to lose a little bit year over year, you know, you're the... It's worth so much more. But you do, but yeah. within that. Cash flow is a different thing than yes. total off value. But they're yeah, not yeah, hurting right. on that yes, regard. Probably, yeah. This family is in no danger of you know, having right. to scrounge uh, yes. for, for quarters in the car's cushions. But within that, I have no problem with a team operating within kind of the self-imposed, but the kind of overall financial structure that we described, which is if you make 300 in revenue, 300 million in revenue – you probably should be looking to spend roughly 150 or maybe a little more on payroll. And I think the Twins have at least gotten to a point over the under Falvey, and I give Falvey credit for this compared to Terry Ryan, because Terry Ryan did not push right. for extra spending. Yeah, and no. Falvey, <laughs> Falvey basically tries to figure out how much can we yeah. spend and then spends to the penny what yeah, that is. Right. Whereas Terry Ryan seemed to have a weird sense of pride <laughs> yeah, in like yeah. handing $20 million <laughs> back to ownership, yeah, which exactly. I never quite understood. But – Within that financial structure, though. That's where your job security comes from. I can kind of understand well, it. Well, yeah, okay. But <laughs> your job security could also just come from winning. But, yes, the, what you said is 100% the case I would make, and I suspect Falvey will make the case. And I suspect Joe Polad, who was around the team every right, day yes. and was on the field for all the playoffs and all that, he has a sense of you know how much different the vibe was at the end of this season versus past seasons, and we want to keep this rolling and all sure. that. But – I would say there it, there is a huge difference from just like a perception or fan morale standpoint f from maintaining payroll year over year, which technically is a lowering of payroll relative to the league. Right. Although across the league, there are so many weird television situations that you might see league-wide payroll decline a little bit. But there's a big difference versus saying, hey, our television situation is bad. We're expecting our revenue to go down. We're just going to keep the payroll at the same level. Versus 
lowering it. Right, yes. And right. Yes. that might be somewhat semantic because even keeping it at the same level is technically sure. kind of lowering it. If you Although just, maybe not this right. year because they, they might not be right. climbing league-wide because so many other teams are dealing with the same I issue. I just think the moment that people realize, if this were the stance they would try to take, that you realize that, hey, they spent $158 million this year. They're only looking to spend $145 million next year. Well, there's a reason behind that, and we can talk about the logic of it like we've been doing, and that's going to convince some fans, but not most fans, nor should it convince some fans. I think there's just a massive difference in perception between maintaining and lowering. And I also think there's an even bigger perception of if they said, which you kind of suggested, what's $10 million to us in the grand scheme of things? Let's try to keep this momentum rolling. Let's try to keep this train rolling. We finally broke through. There's finally – the dark cloud is lifted of right. this fan base. The attendance started to climb. People are back into it. There's an opportunity yeah. for us to keep winning this division and actually make some playoff noise. And the, the, the entire morale of this fan base can, can climb considerably. Yeah. So The what time if, to invest in a team is open. Right. The competitive window is yes. open. The championship window is open. Absolutely. Right. And I think there would be huge value in saying, look, we can even talk publicly about what a mess this television situation is, and we're going to lose revenue. And right. they could lay it out in very easy terms. They could do an interview with the Strib or with the Athletic or whatever and lay that out and then say, you know what? Screw it. Our revenue's down $30 million. We could easily use that to drop payroll by $15 million. Not only are we not going to drop payroll, we're going to raise payroll. Right. It's going to be 165 million. It's going to be 170 million. And in the grand scheme of things, that means nothing to the people who own the right. team. But I think it could have such an outsized impact on fan morale and perception and momentum. Not to mention, you maybe bring, can, bring in a really good playoff well, starter. Like you know, right, I mean, exactly. I mean, that's what's that's what's going to impact the, the fan momentum. They're not going to care how much you're spending. They're going to care about does that mean now we get we're in a, we're a player exactly. for you know whoever. Yes. Instead right. of signing Donovan Solano to platoon at first base, you right. signed fill in the blank to you know right. Reese Hoskins or something right, like that's that. Right. Exactly. Whatever. Right. Yes. Right. Um, or you re-sign Michael Taylor for eight million right. instead of trying to find some guy for two million right. or something. That's you know right. whatever right. it is. And so I think that's the again though that's. They might not know this television situation for a while. I mean, no, they've had right. they knew this was coming, so they've been right. negotiating. But yeah. it's a very tricky spot. Okay. One other thing that came out of there was uh, real quick. We did ask about whether or not the coaching staff would return, and in general, what they basically said is, "We kind of plan on we kind of we're open to everybody returning, but there's always the possibility that somebody gets hired away." And so a day later, a couple of days later, we got some potential news yes. about. Uh, you know, Thad Levine being interviewed for the general manager job of the uh, Boston Red Sox. And so our Patreon, every, you know, we throughout the year we were doing Monday, Wednesdays. On Wednesdays, we've often been doing a mailbag. We got, we started that episode with a episode about the Thad Levine news, right? And so as what we're going to play for you next is a 14-minute discussion. Just a little taste <laughs> right. of the type of discussion we have on the Patreon side yeah. about Thad Levine and Derek Fulvey and the Boston Red Sox and the front office structure of the Minnesota Twins. That's right. That's what you're about to hear right now. Well, just the background on Thad Levine. He's been the Twins general manager. Now, it's confusing to people. I still see this actually a decent amount where people talk about Thad Levine. I think like very casual fans maybe talk about Thad Levine. I don't mean that as a pejorative, by the way, when I say very casual <laughs> fans. I just mean, right. you know, uh, talk about him as if he's running things. Because for many years, the the f title of general manager, and it's right. still true in some sports, yes, absolutely. is the guy who runs the front office. 
in baseball, because there's been like a title inflation over the last yeah. 10 or 15 years in baseball, most teams now generally, and this actually was in the news recently with Kim Ng from uh, the Marlins who stepped down because they tried, she was the general manager right. and they tried to bring someone in above her basically. Right. But for the most part now, the general manager on most teams is second in command. And the number one in command is some title resembling president of baseball operations or something like that. Right. And so that's been true with the Twins yep. since, what, November of 2016, prior to the 2017 season when right. they replaced uh, Terry Ryan and company with Falvey and Levine. They came as a package. Yep. And Falvey was the president of baseball operations. Actually, I think it was a slightly different title then, but that's his title now. He was the number one guy. They yeah, brought him at the from- time. He was CBO, Chief of Baseball yes. Operations. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, he was brought in from Which Cleveland. I still, sometimes right, and I'm like, oh no, that's yeah. Not right I anymore. like to, now because so many now you used to be able to just call as a, someone who's been writing about this for 20 years. You used to pretty reliably just call them general manager, and you can't do that now. And so some of them are CBO, some yeah. of them are president of baseball ops, some of them are vice president of you now, know. Now I can just remember Pobo. Yeah, that, that works. <laughs> I just Pobo. say front office boss. <laughs> yeah, that works yeah, like final go. boss yeah, right, in a yeah, video yeah, game. Yeah. Uh, but so they brought in Falvey from Cleveland, and he took the number one spot, the top spot, and then they brought in at the same time in tandem. Uh, Thad Levine from tech, the Texas Rangers, right. where he had been assistant general manager back in the day when that meant you were the number two guy uh, under John Daniels for a decade, and they made two World Series. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so he's been the Thad Levine has been the number two front office person for almost twenty years now between Texas and Minnesota. Uh, he's probably won, I don't know, eight division titles. He's made the playoffs that yeah, many right, times. Yeah, he's got two right. World Series on his resume. You know, he's been one of the more successful kind of right-hand men or, or number two guys in these front offices in, in both spots. He's turned down – I know he turned down an interview with the Phillies a while back when they ended up hiring Dombrowski. Dombrowski. Huh. Um, he turned down the Mets uh, last offseason or the offseason before. I know the Tigers tried to talk to him. These are just ones that have been reported. I mean, sometimes right. we don't even hear about this stuff. Um, and he's turned him down to stay with the Twins. Now, this time, uh, Chad Jennings, who's the Athletics uh, Red Sox writer and also my uh, past and future spring training roommate uh, at, the, at the condo <laughs> in Fort Myers that we share with the Red Sox writers. Have I played uh, trivia with him? Probably, yeah. yeah probably. Great, <laughs> tremendous yeah. guy. Yeah. Couldn't be luckier. Right. Uh, part of the, the part, Probably part of one of the winning teams of Fort Myers. Probably. Trivia, yeah. or he's, a, trivia, he's a smart right. guy. One of the great guys right. I've met. Uh, one of the champions. He's, a, he's clearly a champion. Yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's a champion. He's a champion of something. At breweries, yes. Undeniable. He's a champion, just like you, John. Uh, but he reported alongside Dan Hayes, who also is a champion at breweries for other <laughs> yeah. reasons. Um and uh, that Thad Levine had – well, first of all, they reported uh, – and I'm going to give Dan credit some this too because obviously this was a Red Sox report sort of because it was about the Red Sox job because they fired Chaim Bloom, uh, who they had hired three years ago from the Rays right. to be the top guy. Um, but the Red Sox go through front offices like uh, like it's nothing. Think of it. They had the Theo Epstein. They had the Ben Sherrington. Then they had Dombrowski, and he won a World Series, and they right. canned him a year later. Uh, then they hire a guy from Tampa who was very well respected, and three years later they fire him. Uh, the initial report that Jennings and Hayes had was that the Red Sox reached out to Derek Falvey, 
who is from Massachusetts and went to school, I believe, in Massachusetts. And he turned them down even to do an interview because he's staying here. And I will say... That one, that surprised me a little bit. eh, I'm not surprised by that. In general, you rarely see a, what's it called, lateral move once you reach the top spot of a Major League Baseball organization. It's kind of like in the NFL or something. You rarely see a a head coach change hands unless there's like some draft pick compensation or something like that. It's not that it can't happen, but it's like it's kind of understood. I mean, the majority of people who get hired are either number one people whose contracts are up or who get fired, like Dombrowski, let's say. Or, uh, for instance, David Stearns, who's been running the Brewers. His contract was up and the the Mets jumped in and and poached him. Or number two or three people for successful organizations, which was Falvey, which was Levine, same thing. Uh, so they get turned down for an interview for, by Falvey, and then they say, well, how about Thad? Right. And he accepted an interview, and I'm told was there Monday in Boston, might still be there, who knows. Uh, so he went through with the interview process. Now, does that mean he's going to get offered the job? No. I mean, they definitely are interviewing other people. There was also Chad Jennings wrote, they reached out like their first two or three people. They tried to hire a guy from the Dodgers. They tried to hire, and they were turned down. By Falvey, right. by uh, Brandon Gomes okay. from the Dodgers. And so, you know, they kind of had to expand the net a little bit, like widen the net a little bit. Sure. And, and, you know, Thad Levine's an East Coast guy. He went to school, I think, in Haverford, Haverford yeah. which is what, I, Pennsylvania? That is a suburb of Philadelphia. It's Havertown. Okay. I've lived in Havertown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I lived there. When we got married. That was where we spent our first So, time. but with that said, he's been living in Texas for a decade. First, before that, he, right. he was with the Rockies, so he lived in Colorado. Right. Then he lived in Texas. Now he's been living in Minnesota. So I don't know that the East Coast draw for a 50-year-old guy with right. a family is, yes. that, right. is that huge, but maybe a factor. It's a little surprising to me just in the sense that he's turned down some pretty high-profile jobs. I mean, Phillies, Mets. Sure. I don't mean turned yeah, down right. like they offered it to him, but turned down a chance to even interview for yes. it. But, you know, things change. Obviously, the Red Sox are among the better jobs that you – I mean, sure. they've won multiple yeah. World Series. Right. Um, they've got lots of resources. Yes. Right. They've got a lot of money. I'm sure they're, they're willing to pay the front office pretty well. Uh, but, you know, it, it's interesting. I think – a lot of people see that it can it cuts both ways, right? Like because during the Terry Ryan Ron Gardenhire fifteen year run, right? No members of the coaching staff were, as far as I know, ever poached, which is absolutely remarkable right, yeah. for a team that won six division titles in ten years or whatever it was. They didn't lose a single hitting coach, pitching coach, third base coach, nobody. Right. Yeah. And there was only that I can remember one front office departure, which was Wayne Krivsky was the, the assistant Reds. general manager, got hired as the Reds GM, like about midway through the early 2000s run. Who went to Colorado? Wasn't there one, one of the Twins officials ended up uh, becoming the GM of Colorado? Not I that remember. I can remember. Okay. I mean, Dan O'Dowd, but that was well, well long well, before, before that. that. Okay. Um, and Krivsky lasted three years in Cincinnati, yeah, didn't go right. well, yeah, and he right. actually came right back to the same yes, job with right. the Twins. Yep. That's remarkably little uh, front office and coaching losses or right. personnel losses. The Twins, we've seen slight, much different than that. Almost immediately, Falvey and, and Levine took over in 2017. They lost, I remember Jeff Pickler. They've lost uh, Derek Shelton, James Rousen, Jeremy Hefner. Um, I'm forgetting yeah, multiple right, people. Yeah, right, I mean, yeah, right. like on the coaching side, they've lost mm-hmm. a bunch of people. And so it makes sense 
that Thad Levine, I mean, I can tell you before he even got here, Thad Levine was a guy who would pop up in articles of like future GM or future whatever. Right. And now he is a GM, but they meant like future number one guys. So it doesn't surprise me that they would pursue him. I mean, certainly he's overqualified to be a guy who can lead a front office. He's essentially been sure. leading front yes. offices right. for 20 years. In terms of the impact that it would have on the Twins, I mean, I do think that Falvey is very clearly the number one guy in this front office. Sure. It's not a division. Uh, it's not a left-hand, right-hand type of thing. And that's not to say Thad right. Levine hasn't done a lot of heavy lifting in a very important role. Or that Falvey doesn't lean on Absolutely. Levine a lot. I mean, they're, right. they're very connected. Falvey is, a, I mean, he trusts him with everything. Right. But I think even more than, this was the case when they came here in 2017, but I think it's certainly become more true. The buck stops with Falvey. And... You know, I think and it used to be that Levine was sort of the spokesman of you know, the club funny, for the first couple of years. You're right, and we it's and funny. Now, now it's completely opposite. Right, yeah. we get so many questions about this every month of every year for the past like three or four years, yeah. and it's always the question is always, and I got ones today about this, right. and we've talked about it. The, you're right. The question okay. is always. Doesn't it what seem like Levine? <laughs> Thad right, Levine yeah. was very much public facing or you know yes. doing interviews and stuff early on, and that it seems like suddenly that's changed? Except we've been getting those emails for four years, right? Yeah, so right. it can't be suddenly. No, I think it's as simple as when Falvey took this job, he had essentially no experience being a public facing. He was the number three guy in Cleveland. Right. Yeah. Maybe. He he yeah, hadn't done maybe. any of these interviews. Whereas Thad yeah. Levine's been in front of a camera, and, and also, also it's just his personality. Yeah. Also, yeah, he's excellent at it. I used right. To yes. Do, absolutely excellent. When yeah. I was at Baseball Prospectus, I think we did it three years in a row. You were at one of them. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a Baseball Prospectus night at at Target Field, and part of it was a pregame interview with Thad, Thad Levine. Levine. Yeah. And you basically just put a quarter in Thad and wind him up, and he goes for an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. And fam I tell this story all the time. My girlfriend, and we were only two, three years into dating at that point. She was there for one of them, sitting in the front row, and I got my phone on the table. I'm interviewing Thad Levine because I have my questions on my phone. All of a sudden, it starts rattling, and I look. And it's from Becky, and it says, he's so charming. <laughs> and I, I almost stopped it, and I was like, man, what? Don't, he's a, you just say to him, could you be less charming? Yes, I probably <laughs> did say that, actually. I'm pretty sure I did. But anyway, he likes to talk. But I do think it's as simple as – and actually, Thad will still call into KFAN. He's still on CCL. He's certainly yes, around. Yeah. It's, yes. I mean, I will tell you, if you need to talk to Thad Levine as a beat writer, you can find Thad Levine. I'm, right. I mean, I talk to yes. him all the – we see him all the time. He's on the field for BP. He's not – that hasn't changed. But I think what has changed is Falvey's just much more comfortable. Yes. And, and that was – pretty quickly apparent but if one if you have two guys and one of them's been in front of the camera a million times and one of them's never been right. in front of the camera when you get started the guy who's been in front of the camera a million times is probably going to take a, a higher share of that so i wouldn't read much of anything into that i will say though that being a great number two guy doesn't necessarily mean you'll be a great number one guy nor should it necessarily mean you strive to be a number one guy sure like just because Scottie Pippen is the greatest number two of all time doesn't mean he should have strived to get traded and go to his own team right, and, right. and start on his own. And, you know, the the things that Falvey has to do as the number one guy, like I said, the buck, he has to make tough decisions. And he has to be the final gavel on a lot of these. Sure. And he has to tell people, we're going to cut you. We're not right. going to resign you. He has to go to ownership and ask for more money. Like, there are certain difficult aspects of this job that in – in practice are harder than just being a big voice in the room when there's three or four big voices in the room and you guys make a decision 
you don't collectively go tell ownership that. It's Falvey right, going yeah. to tell ownership that. So I think that in terms of what would they miss with if that living were to get this job and take this job with the Red Sox, they would miss a lot. I mean, they would have to replace him probably internally. Uh, it would probably be either Daniel Adler or Jeremy Zoll, who are the the two assistant GMs, mm-hmm. although they have some other options there from the player development side that they could bump up the, the ladder. But they, it wouldn't like fundamentally alter the very top of this thing because the guy who makes the the real decisions and the guy who is running this truly the final boss of this front office turned down an interview and is, you know, in it for the long haul here with, with Falvey, I would say. So I don't know. I don't get the sense that, that Levine is considered like a favorite for this job or anything, but certainly the fact that he flew out there and interviewed, he's part of the process at the very least. I mean, it's being reported. Like it's one of the things that say, yes. Uh, So that, I don't know. Hopefully we'll obviously next week or something, we should have a lot more clarity one way or the other on this. I'm assuming, I mean, maybe they could drag their feet on it a little bit, but um, yeah, it's good. I would say. I, th- I think. And I think that may, that might not be the last thing we hear about. You know, somebody sure. being poached from this front office well, or from this coaching. We staff. talked about it coming off last Friday's um, media session with Falvey and Levine, yeah. where they basically said, "We're bringing the whole coaching staff back, except we might not have control over that. Right. If someone wants to hire Jace Tingler as the manager." He's not going to stay here as the bench coach, you know, if you're offered a promotion. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think. Uh, we would love to have everybody back. We're not sure everybody will be right. back. Right. Okay. So that's uh, Thad Levine. So that was uh, us talking about Thad Levine on the Patreon. The we world have, uh, has changed considerably in these last 14 <laughs> minutes. Now. It's all gone to hell. No. We, uh, we re- always recommend that you uh, join the Patreon. This uh, The way it's going to work in the off season is we're going to be doing, I think, a Patreon most Mondays. Uh, starting with this upcoming Monday, we're going to have a special guest. Yes, a first-time guest. A first-time special guest. That's right. You know, uh, you know mail ba- we do mailbags on my, on the Patreons. We do special guests. We're going to do some deep dives. Like I think that payroll talk right. that we're going to be having is on that. The, and it will also right. be home for any emergency shows when they start right. making moves, yeah, that's trades exactly, for agents. Exactly right. Which we're also then going to move. We've been doing the free show that you're listening to right now, typically on Fridays. Release it Friday late morning, basically. Yeah. We're going to shift that most of the time to, to Thursdays, Thursdays yeah. which means you can then listen to it Friday morning if That's you want. Right. On yeah, your Thursday commute. night or Friday afternoon. Thursday uh, just afternoon. to kind of – because we do dial back the frequency of the podcast overall from yes. like three a week to one or two a week. And so that's going to be the spacing on it. So we will continue to do free podcasts throughout the off season. Uh, we do know of a couple that we're going to probably have to switch to some traveling and some holidays well, and stuff yeah. that John's are going I on. John's, I think, right? thinking he's going to be in Philly for the World Series. Be a little, he's not going to after last night. I know. Who knows? Oh, um, before us. we finish up here with our uh, review of how stupid we are with our over-unders, <laughs> let's talk about our last couple sponsors here. Game Time. Game Time app to get yes. tickets. Don't go to the website to get tickets. Use the Game Time app to get tickets. I've been doing it since 2019, long before they were a sponsor of ours we were using the game time app and we were doing it because it was easy to get tickets to twin I, honestly most of the time i've been using it for twins games although i have absolutely used it for wild games i have used it for uh for vikings games yeah, and also the you know concerts and yeah. shows and stuff yeah, it works absolutely for. their yeah. specialties are hard to find tickets yeah and then just last-minute tickets, which yeah. John will often buy them as he's walking to Target Field. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You can download the, – take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Again, it's just an app on your phone. You download the GameTime app. You create an account and then just use the code Gleeman, 
and you get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Just create an account, redeem the code Gleeman, get $20 off, download Game Time today, last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And then our second sponsor is Stamps, stamps stamps.com. Uh, nobody wants to go to the post office, Aaron no. Lehman. <laughs> and uh, we're going to the holiday season. You know what I have to do in the holiday season a lot of the time? Send out a lot of I presents. Have to, I have to go to the post office. Yeah, yeah I don't like it. I have uh, I was a power user of Stamps.com a few years ago when I was uh, sending out autographed copies of my book. <laughs> and it, without Stamps.com, I probably would have been driven even more insane <laughs> because, I, yeah, I would have been standing at the post office every day, basically. Instead, you can package and weigh and put postage on just drop it in the mailbox it's amazing you can also you end up saving money because you can do exact postage instead of slapping on four stamps right and overpaying there uh you can get a scale and measure stuff if you're going to be sending out a lot of packages i know some people are running small businesses and stuff and this would really come in handy and then the other thing that i used that i liked a lot was you can track each package because they'll give you like a code or a, a number and then you can actually see if something's delivered which again if yes. you're running a small business or you're sending something out of state and you want to know that it gets delivered so here's all you do you can give your business the gift of stamps.com so your mailing and shipping is covered this holiday season sign up with uh, go to stamps.com and then sign up with the promo code gleeman no geek geek you're right yeah promo code yeah. geek Sign up with the promo code GEEK. Come on, yeah. G-E-E-K. Yep. For a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale, no long-term commitment or contract, just go to stamps.com. You'll see it at the top. There's a You click a microphone at the top of the page. Yeah, there's like a picture of yep. a microphone. And then you enter the code GEEK, and then we get credit for it, and you get a great deal. You get the four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale. G-E-E-K. GEEK. <laughs> GEEK. <laughs> there you go. time John got the spotlight. All right. You can have it, brother. It is time. Speaking okay. of the spotlight. Now let's talk about how stupid we are for a change. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So if you've been listening, you know we do this basically every year, right. both coming and going. But every middle of spring training usually we do, I think, something sure. like that, sometime in March. Yeah. March uh, 17th was this time when okay. we released it. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Middle of spring training. Yep. Um, we look at the you, American You're League. welcome to go back and listen to that episode as well. Yeah, you really need proof of how <laughs> right, dumb yeah, we are. But right. I, we'll get the point across, <laughs> trust me. Um, and we go through all 15 American League teams. Obviously, we focus more on the AL Central. Right. But yes. we go through all the American League teams, and it's our way of just kind of previewing the American League, previewing the potential playoff picture, previewing the division that sure. the Twins are in, and then also just, you know, putting our money where our mouth is a little bit and saying, you know, this is what we think. That's right. Yeah. And it's anybody and then we can track say, it and then we report it right. at the end of the year. Anybody right. can say what they think if you just it disappears into <laughs> right. the ether and we, six and months we, later. And we like doing it this way because it provides an objective number to be right. there's not a lot of rhetoric around it. We started doing it because our very first year of the podcast we were arguing about whether or not the Detroit Tigers were going to be any good. And my point is now nah, they're not going to be as good as people thought they are going to be. And you thought, oh no, they're going to be every bit as good. And it turns out I was I had a different number of what I thought everybody was thought right. they were we both be. thought they were going to win like 92 games. <laughs> we, no, we're 80, yeah, it was 80 and a half like for that. me and 89 yeah. and a half for you yeah. is what we basically said was the number. We're like, well, Okay, so we basically agree. We've just been arguing about this stupid thing because we didn't have an objective number. So this gives Imagine us an objective us number. Arguing about a stupid uh, thing, John. It's impossible. Yeah, I, know. I know. Inconceivable. <laughs> um, okay, so the way it works is on what did you say, March seventeenth, we yep. went and pulled the Las Vegas uh, 
it was like uh, what Bavada or Bet MGM like or whatever yeah, we yeah, used. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The over under win totals for teams, which will always have a point five. Right. So it'll always be not eighty five. It'll be eighty five point five because they want to avoid ties, yeah, obviously. Right. That's right. And we did it for all fifteen teams, and we picked over or under. Yes. For all fifteen, and then within that, one or two teams per division that we felt strongly about. We said these were ones we would actually kind of bet on. Should we start with the AL Central or should we start end with the AL Central? Well, let's run through the other two real quick because okay. I don't think we need to spend that okay. much time on the on the East All and the right. West. Okay. So, I'm going to start with the oh, with the West. Okay. Okay. West was, you know, at the bottom of it was uh, Oakland, 59 and a half. And we were both, we both spent uh, minutes bewailing the fact that the number was so low. It was 59 <laughs> and a half. You rarely see, for instance... The second lowest over-under in the American League was 69 and a half. That's right. So they were 10 games worse in terms of over-under. And you might say, well, teams lose 100-plus games all the time. Yes, but this is attempting to give you like a 50th percentile outcome. Right. Yeah. It, the goal of They Vegas, could have lost 101 games and still beat that right, over. Exactly. The <laughs> goal number, of right. an over-under from like a casino standpoint or a gambling site standpoint is not to predict – it's to get – they would love to get 50% of the bets on one side and right. 50% on the other. That's always the goal of an over-under right. or a point spread or right. whatever because if you can do that, the bets all cancel themselves out so you're not right. losing any money and then you just get 10% of the losses. Uh, that's right. So if you can get precisely 50% of all bets on each side, you will make 5% of all bets <laughs> that's if exactly you're the, right. the house. That's right. And yes. so that's what they're trying to do. And so you regress it towards the, the mean basically – and so even though everybody and their mother could have looked at the Oakland A's roster and said, this is a garbage yeah. team. We, we knew that it was going to be the worst team in the division. And we were 59 and a half. 59 and a half is hard to get. So we both, did we both take the over? We both took the over. And we were and, dead wrong. And, and we both took the over and we both bet on. We should mention, we not only picked the over under on all these, I we see. also picked two teams in each division to to bet on. I like when you go, we should mention that. I did mention <laughs> Oh, did you? Like okay, 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 I missed that. Okay. Um, we, and it was clear immediately that we would be wrong. <laughs> Because they started the season like yes. four and forty or yes. something like that, and they yeah. actually got a little better yeah. to the point that they were like better than the Royals. But they still the- ended up with fifty wins, nine and a half yes. below it. Yeah, I mean they were just unbelievable. Now I didn't know that the state, their ballpark situation would get as bad as it did, right? And that the moving to Vegas would get as bad, and that like the, just the vibes around this team were horrible, and that probably yes. played a part in it too. But. Uh, we were wrong about that. The second worst team in terms of projection was the Angels. And we were right about at that. At 81 one and a half. Yep. I have essentially defaulted to picking the under on the Angels every year, regardless yes. of what it is. And uh, they started okay. Yes. And then guys started getting hurt and they did some crazy stuff at the trade deadline. Uh, and they were, they won 73. Yes. So 81 and a half. They were I, short of it, eight and a half. Do right? we both yeah. take the under on we the Angels? We both took the under and I bet on it. So I got that one right. So we were right about that. Then the Rangers were the middle team in the AL West. 82 and a half was their over-under, and they won 90. Yeah. Now, this was coming off of a season in which I think they had won 68 games. Yeah, they were terrible. But their Pythagorean, which is their projected based on run differential, was closer to like 77 or something like that. And the past several off-seasons, they've made some... Big ticket moves. Right. DeGrom, although he right. got hurt. John Gray. They had signed Simeon and Seeger the so, year before. So Vegas picked a number 14 and a half games better than they finished the next yeah. year. And I think that's why you might have chosen the under. I took the under. <laughs> you took, you the, took under. the over. I took the over. And here's all you need to know. They're still playing. Yes. <laughs> so 
the uh, underloss. Well, that was also one of those that we knew pretty much immediately because they were yes. way out ahead of front of the AL West, and then they ended up coming back to yep. the pack and actually not winning the AL West, losing it on the last day. But they still, still got crushed, the 90. crushed yep. by 82 and a half. That was right? a very clear loss. Seven and a half over. So then the number two team in the division in terms of project or over under was the Mariners at 87 and a half. Right. And I took the over, I know. Yep. You took what? I also took the over. And we won that by 0.5. We won that on the last day. That, yes. That, they beat that, the Rangers. Yeah, which on cost the, the Rangers day. the AL West. Yes. Uh, because the Rangers were all hung over from celebrating well, the night before, there's maybe. There's some disagreement about that in the people who reported that. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. The Rangers GM was very mad at the people who talked <laughs> well, about whatever. that. But yes. Um, yeah, so that's uh, it's amazing when that happens. Yeah, I mean that's effectively a tie, right. but that's why we, they have. We actually half. talked about the Friday just before the end of the season, suggesting, hey, we could we're going to talk a little bit about you know the games that were going on and how how things could end up for the Twins because we were all watching to see yes. who the Twins would end up Especially facing in the AL West. But we also said, you know, I could just cover the over unders for the last three, and we're, we we're like we're like ah, we probably know they're well, probably going to be the. They're probably aren't any that are close, you know. But it turns couple. out there were two that were yeah. that were decided on the last day. So that one, uh, I'm I'm brilliant because I picked 88, and it was 87 and a half. So I'm I'm a genius. The first place team was the team that actually ended up winning, although not without a fight. Yes. Uh, the Astros, their over under was 96 and a half, which was the highest in the and, American and League. And we bemoaned that left and right. And it was that's that extremely night. high. The it's same way that Oakland, that 59 right. half is extremely low. Right. I mean, 90 or 92 is a really high over under right. because, again, they're trying to regress it. Uh, and yet, at 96 and a half, I thought, yeah, they'll win 100 games. So I picked the over. And you bet on it. Yes, I was very wrong. They only won 90. 90. Yeah, I also picked the over. Yes. I didn't bet on it. But yeah, so I, what I would say about that, we ended up going, uh, I went three and two. You went two and three. I went one and one on my bets. You went 0 oh and, and two. two. Yeah. And I would say, you know, where we messed up was on the high and the low end. Right. Right. If we would have understood, you know, like we, we, both number, both times we were like, these numbers are just so out of whack. Yeah. We, but one of them we said, we don't care. It's out of whack, but we're still going to pick the over. And the other one we're like, ah, we're so under, out now, of whack down the line. We're not going to take the under. I agree. I would also argue, because I hate to admit that I was wrong, <laughs> that I was right about the Houston Astros. They're, right, really, yeah, they're really good. They, they were they're still good. playing. <laughs> they were I think probably good. at this point they might be favored to win the World Series. I, I would suggest we were right in general about that whole division. I think we nailed yeah. the, what the, the order was going to be, with the exception of Texas being a little bit better than Seattle. Yeah. Okay. So, but now we'll move on to the East, which I have a feeling I did very poorly here. But the bottom team in the East was actually the Orioles coming into the season at 76 and a half. <laughs> they had lost 100 plus games pretty much every year. Last year, they were sort of competitive. No, they were pretty good. Like, yeah, pretty last year, I think they were close to a 500 team. Well, yeah, like but they right. traded guys away at the deadline. and yes. they So seven or, uh, 76 and a half. Now, that's the toughest division year, year in and year out. And so the numbers there are going to be yeah. sort of depressed a little right. bit or suppressed a little bit. Yeah. Um, we talked a lot about that in the podcast. Now, the Orioles, 76 and a half, I do remember thinking, well, that's going to that's an easy over. I didn't expect them to win 101 games and you know get the number one seed in the American League, right. but I certainly thought they'd have a winning record. They had a ton of young talent. Well, coming what threw up. us about that one is that's just such a high. What I think, at least, what threw me in that that's just such a high total for the worst team in the division. Yeah, you know, we, we, although I didn't think they'd be the worst. Yeah, team we, in the you thought it was going to be Boston, right. Right, and you were right. Um, I and I and yet I still got it wrong on Boston because as we'll note here, <laughs> yes. so the Orioles were seventy six and a half. They beat it by twenty five games. 
<laughs> like tr- well, twenty four and, and a half, half games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. uh, did we both take the over on Orioles? No, I took the under. Oh, and I you bet idiot, on it. John. You I idiot. took the under and I bet on let it. Let me you took s- the hold over. on. Let me savor this moment where you're stupid and I'm smart because it's going to go the opposite way here in a second. The Red Sox were the second lowest uh, yeah. over under, seventy seven and a half. I was convinced they were going to be bad this year, yes. like legitimately bad. So I took the under, and here's the much like the Mariners, they won seventy eight. So yes. I was wrong by a half game. Yeah, and you bet on it. Yeah. Now, I would again argue, I was right. The Red Sox stunk. They were clearly <laughs> the worst team in this division. Yep. But this is why gambling is difficult, kids. <laughs> so 77 and a half, they won 78. They hit the over. I picked the under, you know, whatever. I, I also picked the under, but I didn't bet on it. This would so be one we, of those. Yeah, so I'm 0 for 2 so far in the ALE. I'd leave the state rather than pay a bookie for yeah. that loss. I'd be like, no, I refuse. That's why people break my legs in mcdonald's parking lots and stuff. uh middle team in the east in terms of preseason were the tampa bay rays yes. at 88 and a half now here's why i'm stupid <laughs> much like i said i've I bet go. against the angels yep. every year for like yep. a decade i yep. picked the under no matter what it is i for a decade took the opposite approach with the yep. rays which is no matter what the line was set and, th- and i think the second year in a row that you yes made this, this is why i'm stupid yeah yep. for eight years seven years in a row you know joe madden kevin cash friedman was the gm he leaves whatever because every year everyone goes well how can the rays compete they have no payroll they just lost three of their best guys right. we don't know anybody on the roster and my thing was just bet on the rays every time right. they always yes. beat it and they do yes. every year yep. except last year i was like no i'm gonna bet against the rays and then i did that again this year 88 and a half and which by is the a- end of april it was apparent we were yeah, i mean they started like 30 and 2 or something like that and i was like no they did fade mid-season <laughs> yes, but they, they ended did. up with uh, 99 wins yes so they beat it by 11 that's right so i was very wrong about the under there yes um did you take the under or i took the over, over and i bet on it yeah see yep. this is where i don't like yep. this is <laughs> Because it's about to get even worse. So the Blue Jays were second highest in the division at 92 yes. and a half. And we both loved the Blue Jays. I did think the Blue Jays were going to be very we, good. We both thought they were going to be. I think we both thought they were going to be the best team in that division. Yes, I did. Well, no, I didn't. I thought they, well, this doesn't make me look any better, but I thought the Yankees would be the best team. <laughs> but but uh, the Blue Jays were good. I mean, they yes. won 89 games. Yes. Um Unfortunately, they were supposed to win 92 and a right. half. Right. And so I took the over, and I was wrong. You took the over, and you were wrong. And you bet on it. And then uh, the Yankees were at 94 and a half. This is the one I really regret because I think, in general, I've often picked the Yankees to beat their over-under, and I right. think, in general, that's been right, even though there is some inflation there because there are pe- more people interested in betting uh, optimistically about the Yankees just because there's more Yankees fans than anybody. It's right. the same yes, thing as the exactly Cowboys right. and the Lakers. We, we generally talk in, in every episode about uh, Yankees number is probably a little inflated. A little bit, yeah. Right. 94 and a half was second in the American League behind only the Astros. But much like I did with the Astros, I didn't let that change my overall opinion that the Yankees were just very good. Right. I thought, you know, Rodon and some of the other pitching moves they made would really benefit them. Instead, they just their pitching their rotation just kind of fell apart. Severino was terrible. Rodon was useless. Yeah. Um, they only won eighty two games. It was the worst Yankee season in I don't know thirty years or something like that. Uh, ninety four and a half. I picked the over and was dead wrong. That's probably the one I was most wrong about. I would say just like I don't mean numbers wise. Right. I just yes. mean like right. philosophically. Yes. Right. I was the completely wrong about the New York Yankees on every front this season, which I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah. 
when I'm optimistic about the Yankees and they're terrible. When, when, that's I, when, good. I, when I come to the Yankees, I always know I know that I dislike that team so much that I almost always well, want to choose the under. Too. So this time I kind of went, ah, I'll just stay, stay yeah. with the over, so I don't jinx it. Okay, so I went. <laughs> so I picked the over one in four in the East. Yeah. You went what? I went also one and four okay, in the East. So we're stupid. But I went one and one on my bets, and you went zero oh and two. Yeah, this is not. I don't like this. It's not going well okay, for you. Okay, let's bets. move to the Central, which is really all that matters. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. This is, you know, money is won or lost in the American <laughs> League Central. People have always said that. Yeah, that's right. Jimmy the Greek used to say yeah, that. I know. Yeah, that's right. Um, we'll start at the bottom. It was a tie at the bottom, bottom right? Which these were the tied for the second worst over under totals. Other than the A's, sixty nine and a half, right. which is not that low. It's you know that's reasonable. I would say were the Royals and the Tigers. I thought both would be ba- really bad. I definitely thought the Royals would be the worst team in the division, but I also thought the Tigers just didn't have any pitching. Right. Um, so I took the under on both. The Royals won fifty six games. They were every bit as bad. I would almost argue they were a worse team. Like big picture than Oakland. Yeah. Um, now that's silly. Obviously, they won six more games, but Oakland started so terribly that Oakland semi recovered, whereas the Royals got worse right. and worse as yeah. the year went on. Right. Um, so that was an easy under. I'm a, did you also take the under on the I Royals? I took the under on both of them. Okay. So we were one and one on those. I the Tigers. I mean, the Tigers ended up finishing in second place. Yeah. But I bet I bet on the Kansas City under. So okay. The Tigers won 78 yeah, games. Yeah. They were ahead of Cleveland at they, the end of they the beat, season. They beat the projection by eight and a half. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they got some good performances. Guys like Torkelson were pretty good. Riley Green was good before he got hurt. You think that's the second best team in the AL Central right now? I mean, I know they were this year. This season, yeah, going next into season, next year. I still would assume Cleveland I would, would too. be. But who knows? I would too. Um, the middle, so we went one on one, one and one on those. The middle team actually tied with the White Sox, but actually, well, yeah, saved the they were tied to the end. But okay. uh, the White Sox, 83 and a half. E- for me, easy under. Um, I'm sure if you go back yeah. and listen, like I, I thought the White Sox, I actually, we kind of saw it coming. I didn't think they'd be, they won, they lost 100 games. Right, yes. I didn't think they were going to completely fall apart. Right. But I looked at it and it was like, this core that was supposed to be so good never really reached any heights. Right. And now they're kind of crumbling and right. starting to get but, old. But part of it was because they'd been hurt so much. And we right. were kind of like, well, maybe they can stay healthy this year, etc. Yeah, this is one of the ones where we disagreed on and you got this one right. Yeah. I, I picked Let's the over and you picked the under. Um, yep. And they were 22 games worse than the over under. Yeah, and neither of us bet on it because I don't think I, I at least knew I didn't have any yeah. idea on this on that team. I, to me, it was a coin flip. Uh, atop the division in terms of over, they were the biggest underperforming team in the American League relative to their over. Is that true? 22 and a half. That's yeah, down. Be true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're yeah. the biggest losers. Is that what you're saying? That's right. That's yeah. Right. Guardians had the highest over under in the division at 86 and a half. Although, let's note. That was only the sixth highest over under in the American League <laughs> yeah, out of fifteen teams, which yeah. nobody expected the AL Central to be good at no, all. Nobody thought right. it would be the this worst bad, division right. of all time. Yeah. But um, well, I picked the over. Yes, and you bet on it. Did you also pick uh, the over? Uh, yes, I also picked the over. So my I feel a little. Was, f- I mean, I think I I think what I had on my sheet was eighty eight wins. Okay. And so I was like, ah, I guess I got to take the over. Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of thought that the Guardians would win roughly 90 games, which has sort of been their MO. I didn't think they'd be considerably worse this year than they were last year. 
I kind of thought the Twins had the potential to win 90 games, but would probably win 85 to 88 games. Right, yeah. And so that's sort of how I viewed the division. I thought the White Sox would be 500-ish, and I thought the Royals and Tigers would be terrible. That's sort of how it played out. The White Sox were much worse. I think Cleveland, for much of the season, people kept assuming, we talked a lot about this, that they were going to start performing right, yeah, like a 91 yeah, team, right. and it just never happened. And then, then once they kind of September rolled around and they were 3% to win the division, the bottom just kind of fell out. Like Francona, they knew, was retiring. They had a bunch of injuries. It kind of reminded me in some ways of the Twins last season, yeah. which is once it started to slip away, they had no ability to keep a grip on things, and it just completely slipped away to the point that, like we just said, they didn't even finish second. They finished behind right. the Detroit Tigers in the worst division of all time, which is uh, not great. So I was very wrong about that. I think I, but my philosophy, we started with the AL Central last time, and I started with a philosophy of there that was, listen, I know there's three good teams in this division and two bad teams in this division. I'm just going to choose the over on the three good teams. I'm going to choose the under right. on the two bad teams. I ended up doing that through all five, all three of the divisions, basically. I said, here are the three teams I think are going to really compete. Here's the two I don't think are going to compete. And I kind of, I think that's what I did in all three and uh, didn't work. Great. it didn't work out particularly so, well. So, last but not least, the Minnesota Twins, who had an over-under of 83 and a half, we both took the over. Yep. And we both bet on it because we always have to. We, have, yeah, we choose we that as the one we have to bet on. Right. You know, feel strongly about yeah. the Twins one way or the other. And, um, you know, you might think, well, don't these guys bet the over on the Twins every year? Certainly not. No, we do not. Uh, we we also don't. picked at the end of the episode the total number of wins we thought they would have. Oh, I don't remember that. Do you have that written I down? Do have okay. That. Yep. Uh, so, obviously, we don't need to rehash the Twins season. You guys watched it and listened and all that. But it did play out. I guess I'll hear what my actual pick was. I have no memory. I mean, in my mind. We just always throw that in at the end of it. No, it's good. It's good. In my mind, six months later, in my uh, feeble brain, I thought 85 to 88 wins for this team. And my question wasn't so much would they win more than that and take the division. It was would Cleveland kind of only win that many and it would be a race. That is sort of what happened. Cleveland was much worse. Uh it, to me, 83.5 was a f- relatively easy overpick for the Twins. Again, not because I thought they were great, but until they completely collapsed under the weight of never-ending injuries last September, right. they were playing yeah. at roughly yep. an 85-win pace or an 83.5-win yep. pace at least. We made this point when we were talking about the number of 83.5. We were kind of like, they were like an 85-86 win right. team. And then they were a replacement level team for the last right, month, exactly. and therefore they ended now, up at eighty three. You can't just I mean, discount right. their worst moment of the season, obviously, sure, but right. there were extenuating circumstances there, right. injury wise. Moment slash month, right? Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, I felt like the worst case for them was like five hundred ish, right? And it, given the weakness of the overall division, some of the moves they made, some of the young guys they had coming, we didn't expect this much impact from rookies. But right. that I thought eighty three and a half was was pretty safe. I thought I. I did pick them second in the division, yes. so it's not like yep. I was that high on the yep. Twins, but I, I just thought Cleveland would be better than they were. So we both picked the over on them. Yes. We were we both, both right on, on that, yep. which means I went three and two in the Central. Yes. Which is and, why I'm and choosing- And one and one on the bets. Yeah, but I'm three and two <laughs> in the Central. None of the other divisions matter that much. We're a Central-focused <laughs> podcast. I don't need East Coast bias, West that's Coast right. bias. Yeah, that's There's right. a lot of media trying to change my opinion. That's, of these that's the right. Central was where- East Coast elites, those right. West Coast libertarians. Yeah, I don't need any of that. People, I right. focus on the farmland, the that's, real, yeah. the salt of the earth, that's Americans. You. Yeah. That is me. You are, you are close, to the, John, close to the land, for sure. One of the two of us- <laughs> 
hangs out Provide on a farm multiple times it's, a year. It's true. And it ain't you. It's true. Yeah. You and your DoorDash. Yeah, they don't have DoorDash <laughs> out there. It's really tricky. It's really tricky. Um, I just have to meet when someone. We, when, we, when I went out with Becky uh, after one of those games, we were talking yeah. about how amusing it would be to see you take over the farm for any yeah. period of time. Because you do like, you're just like, oh, I would like to be left alone. Yes. And so that would be the Oh, I like the wilderness and, yeah, aspect right. of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, yeah, but how are you going to eat? Yeah, it's a little, it's a little tricky. They're, you're going to have to actually start cooking food. Yeah, it's a little tricky. <laughs> well, since she's... Roasting me, she ain't gonna cook, <laughs> no, so exactly. we're in trouble right. no, there. Well, that was her point. Though. I was uh, like, neither of us are gonna yeah. cook. Right. Well, remember we went on a related note. We interviewed Glenn Perkins. <laughs> a he's, lot of Hello Fresh is the yes. <laughs> yeah, right. He's Glenn Perkins has since sold his uh, compound. Yeah, but we right. went out there. It was like an yeah, hour away. Right, we yeah. I forget where it was, but it was very far away, Lakeville. And I remember, yeah, but it was like deep, yeah, it was deep, deep Lakeville. Like, yeah. Um, I remember we drove out there like in January and we were like, yeah. oh, we're going to die. Your Elko, here. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we get out there and we interview him and he has, he had a great place. They've sold it since then, but he had, he had built himself like a barn, like a man cave, but right. in a barn and all that. We had a great time with him. Had some bourbon, had some beer. He had like basically a brewery. Yeah, like a, a little mini brewery. It was amazing. It was great. And I said to him, what the, what's the Chinese food and pizza delivery situation around here? <laughs> and he was like, oh, non-existent. Like, there's yeah, nothing. And I'm like, yeah. man, I could not live out here. And he, first he laughed and he was like, oh, it is kind of a pain in the ass. Because they got like little <laughs> right. kids. So it's like, right. we want to get them pizza one night. Right. It's like, nope, you can't a do that. Haggies. Yeah. A lot of Seventh of, Avenue. That's right. You need a big freezer. <laughs> uh, okay. So, in so general, over, overall, I think I went six and nine. Correct. Which is not nice. Yeah. Six, nine. Nope. Uh, and w- here's the funny part: the ones that we felt the strongest about, <laughs> yep. which theoretically you would like to right. think that. Yeah, if that's you- little, that's all I really care about is the betting ones. The other ones I don't sure. really care about because uh-huh. a lot of those we we're just saying yeah, it's a coin flip. We yeah, don't know. This it, is right? why you're the ones I really feel it's like good I only about. care about the central. It's a good <laughs> it's a good angle to take to make yourself feel better. Uh, you would theoretically think, well, okay, I went six and nine. What is that? Forty percent win win rate or sure. whatever. Uh, but the ones I felt strongly about, I should at least be 50-50. Nope. I went one in five <laughs> on the ones I feel yes, strongest about. I also went six and nine overall. Yeah. Uh, I went four and two on the ones Much I Much better. About. That's interesting. Yes, yes. Boy, that's interesting. A lot, a Probably lot means different. nothing, but it's interesting <laughs> to me. Um, so, yeah. That's the second year in a row now we've done pretty poorly, poorly on yeah. these. Yeah. I think we went six and nine last year, seven and eight. So, year, I would like suggest we... We'll keep going, but I've already lost my house and my car now those last two years, so I don't really have any collateral that uh, I can put that I up on. on I did pretty well, so I th- I'm yeah. actually up a little bit. I'm can ready I to go borrow a million year. dollars? Yeah, there you go. I really want to put over under on uh, whatever. Your season total for the Twins, do you, you have any oh, idea what the guess was? Oh, a good place to end on. Yes. Uh, so, like I said, in my um, feeble mind, I think I probably picked like – 86 or 87 wins you did you picked 86 okay and they won 87 uh-huh. that's pretty good what did you pick 87 oh wow <laughs> De- you know what they call it dead nuts on that's what they call that <laughs> you, look at you the, the uh look how if you could see how last happy year, he last, last year was originally was one of the few years where when we say the number like yeah. what the, we think the number is going to be. Usually you go first and then I always always try to pick something different. So we just have a little right. bit of a difference. Yeah. Like, so Mike, and I think what, that's what happened to you this year is I you picked, eight, I, I went first this year. The price is right at me. I, I said 87 and you said, you, you were thinking to yourself, well, I can't pick 87. I've either got to go higher or lower yeah. and you went with the lower. Okay. So. Yeah, you didn't it's really. Have, I don't think you really had a chance to choose eighty-seven. Is what I'm saying. You got as close as you could because you didn't well, want to pick the same thing better, as me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's look at 
We're a Twins podcast. Well, the problem with you, we nailed exactly the Twins season. The, the, we got it a hundred percent correct. Exactly John got right. it literally a hundred percent. I was off by one win. That's, That's pretty good. Let's yeah. focus on that and not the fact that we lost billions of dollars to all casinos, going six and nine yeah. on these other divisions. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to need to work on that for that this upcoming year. No question about well, it. Well, because here's, here's the thing: last year when we did it, last March when we when we recorded yeah. this, right? We Two started marches we, ago. You mean no, the, no? I'm saying this past this March. last this last yeah. March when we, we looked and we said, you know, we did really poorly last year. Yeah. But we wrote that off to you know there was a lockout. We yeah, didn't, it was a we, weird we, season. We didn't really we didn't we didn't really have time to to an, right. analyze that all these things were coming yeah. in late. What do we write it off? We to didn't. Now? We don't. We don't have any, any good reason. Yeah, I don't know. drugs and alcohol. <laughs> Maybe being yeah, old. Yeah. Being stupid, but I mean that hasn't stopped <laughs> us before. Right, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. That's but he, he, none of those. Things, I guess some of those things have probably gotten a little worse. Older has gotten worse. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the drugs and alcohol are better than ever. You know. Here's, here's, what, so, here's what I came up with. I don't like my three and two uh, strategy next year. I'm not going to do the three and two strategy. Well, all strategy should be out the window now <laughs> after back to back poor seasons. I yeah. just long for the days where I thought I was a genius for going thirteen and two the, or whatever. The strategy I kind of looked at this year and t- after looking at it, I said so many of them were off by so much. Yeah. Because that's the other thing is last year when we were doing this in March or in March when we were doing this, we kept saying, we think we got a pretty good idea of the team. The problem is that the over-under is so good. Right. It was just being set. So it was for a really good team, it was being set very high for a very bad right. team. And then a lot of them was like, like there weren't that many easy ones. We, that's what we thought when we saw those. Yeah. Turns out there were a crap load of yeah. easy ones. Oh, yeah. there, we, we, there were only... There were two that missed by half a game. There were two that missed by three and a half games. All the rest were like seven yeah. games or t- 22. seven to 25 games yeah. off. But like, here's, <laughs> here's how I'm going to go to sleep tonight <laughs> thinking about. We're a twin show. We've been doing this show about the twins for, uh, what, 11 years? Something like that? Yeah. Would you rather we, – we have a really good record picking over-unders for the whole American League. We were just – we're – Betting genius. Every year we go 10 and 5. Um, but we're, we're, and we're, we're constantly uh, wrong about the Twins? Yeah, right. Or would you rather we are uh, terrible uh, I guess. and we nail the Twins? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That is Fair. a very convenient question <laughs> to pose. Yeah, that's right. Given the circumstances of this season. But that is what I will stick with until next year when we completely get the Twins wrong and we do well in the other divisions and I'll yeah. flip-flop. It'd be interesting to see how we uh, justified it in 2016 when we were so far off about all the right. Twins. Don't try to... Come on now. Steady on. Come on. Uh, right. There were a 60-win team who both be right. over. Listen, <laughs> it is what it is. Gambling's hard. Don't gamble, kids. And if you have a problem with gambling, that's call one eight hundred. No one cares. Uh, okay, that's it. Yeah. Uh, we will be back Monday on the Patreon side. P a t r e o n. Patreon dot com slash Kleeman with a uh, first time guest that we are looking forward to chatting with. We've been. We will might have to get we, him. I, for I a few just got a text. Here. We might it might not be Monday. It might be Tuesday. Okay. We'll see. But it'll we'll be see. this upcoming week. <laughs> yeah, John's right. got some uh, family <laughs> stuff or whatever yeah. going on. Um, Thank you to Hatch and to Harry's and to Stamps and to Game Time for keeping this podcast absolutely free for everybody. Um, yeah, and when, uh, we, my guess is we will be giving you another podcast potentially Thursday, maybe Friday next week. We will be back with uh, more news and notes. But but yeah, also- in the meantime, patreon.com slash gloom and sign up. It's not going to cost you that much. We'll be doing deep dives, emergency shows, interviews. You're into the Twins. You can be into them during the offseason, too. It'll cost you less than during the season. So, uh, And if you don't, we'll see you back here. Same time, same place. Cleveland. <laughs>